Hello again from beautiful Lynchburg, Virginia and Liberty University. My name is Jake Schellenberger and you are listening to episode three of the Jake Shell Show. It is my pleasure, episode three, to welcome Scott Thacker to the show. Scott is the head coach at Roanoke College, both men and women, a position that he, uh, he filled in December of 2016 started a new program at Roanoke. Uh, first uh, year was a 2017-18 season. And so Scott starting a new program at Roanoke. Uh, prior to Roanoke, he was the head coach at the Shenandoah Marlins Aquatic Club, or SMAC, as we call them here in Virginia, uh, just north of us here in Lynchburg. And uh, prior to that, did some club coaching as an assistant at uh, Lynchburg Y and uh, Greater YMCA Tritons. Is that right, Scott? Greater... Mm-hmm. Good or YMCA Tritons. Prior to that, uh, swam at Florida State under Neil Harper, was an ACC champion in the 100 breast, NC2A qualifier, and part of a Florida State men's team that won an ACC team title. Uh, so certainly no stranger to elite level swimming and diving. And uh, we're excited to have him on the show. Uh, Going to talk a little bit about how uh, he built the Roanoke program from zero to massive smashing success in just two years. Uh, again, they're starting year number three here in the fall and uh, already in just year number two with an NC2A qualifier on the mm-hmm. women's side. Uh, so fantastic uh, start out of the gate there for Scott and for Roanoke. I do want to make a note. Uh, this is actually our second time uh, doing this exact episode. Uh, <laughs> we, we went through round one and then only after three and a half hours did we realize that something happened with the audio, and we hmm. <laughs> we got nothing. So we're we're back at it again. So we are back at it again, uh, and again the first one was three and a half hours, and as you recall, there are no rules here. Uh, the only rules are no editing and no time limits. Uh, so I would suggest, before we, we get going here, I would suggest that you put this bad boy in the 2.0 speed or 1.5 speed uh, because I have a feeling that this one's going to go another three hours <laughs> plus. Uh, Scott and I have known each other for about seven years. Uh, he's a, a native to this part of Virginia, local guy. And uh, so we met a long time ago. We've had many, 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 many conversations about swimming, about life. We share a lot in common. Uh, so what you're going to listen to are just two friends who, again, have known each other for a long time, talking shop about swimming, diving, life, you know, elite-level athletics, biohacking. We talked about coffee prior to getting on this episode. <laughs> uh, so I would recommend 2.0 speed. All right, without any further, uh, Scott Thacker, welcome to Thank the podcast. Thank you, sir. Glad All to right. be back. Yes, back And I'm just it. as honored and as excited as the first time. Exactly, Yes. Well, we're gonna we're gonna take a, a leap of faith here and hope that our audio works for this one. Okay, so we had your intro there. Uh, first question. Let's get right into it. Uh, background. Anything that I missed? Anything about your background that you want to add to the to the bio there? Anything about your intro? Uh, and then also, how'd you get into swimming? Just the generic background questions. Yeah. How'd you get into coaching and so mm-hmm. on? Yeah. So, like you said, I'm not only a native to the area, but I'm a native to Lynchburg, Virginia. I was born and raised right right in this backyard and my my family has deep ties in Lynchburg and my wife's family has deep ties to LU and my my family lives right over the mountain in Rustburg so really familiar with this area 
grew up and, and loved the area and, and, and we're fortunate that I get to pursue something that I love and coaching right down the road from where my where my family lives in, in my hometown. Getting into swimming, so I learned how to swim when I was seven. My dad put me into swim lessons at our local swim club, which at the time was the Rainbow Forest Recreation Association. And I learned how to swim in the width portion of a four-lane, 27-and-a-half-yard pool. Uh, Lee Lewis taught me how to swim. He has coached at the Y before. He has coached Brookville Swimming. And he's you know, pretty, pretty well-known in the swimming community here. One of the Lynchburg Swimming OGs. And the summer after that, joined the Rainbow Forest swim team. And then that following fall, started swimming for the YMCA full-time. So that's how I got into swimming. My dad wanted to feel more comfortable about me being around the pool, so he put me in a couple little swim lessons. And like a good swim coach, Lee said, hey, you need to, you need to sign your kid up for swimming. And that's, that's how it all started. Isn't it funny how you, you go from parents just wanting you to be safe, you know, safe around the water and water safety and so forth, and then fast forward, ACC champion, Hunter Breast. <laughs> you know swimming at trials and so forth it wasn't well you know it's definitely a process and and it it is it's it's fun to look back and to see how to see where it started and you know my the stroke that I ended up being having success at was a stroke that took me basically two years to learn how to swim I think I was a backstroker my my first year I made the a meet the little summer league championship in the backstroke before I made it in the breaststroke, but it is fun to look back and see how the width in a four-lane, 27-and-a-half-yard pool culminated with a race at Olympic trials in 2012. It's fascinating that you you mentioned breaststroke, you know, taking two years to learn. Uh, just, breaststroke might be the easiest stroke to swim, but the hardest to learn. To learn and teach, right? yeah. Yeah, imagine that. Yep. I mean, you know, you tell somebody who's never... You know, been in a pool before, go swim. They're going to do some variation of either freestyle or breaststroke. You know, they're going to just kind of move their arms in a circle mm-hmm. and kind of kick their legs. Uh, survival swimming, right? We'll yep. call it that. And then you look at elite level breaststroke and, and just how complex and and challenging it is to swim at a high level breaststroke. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. Okay, that that kind of blew my mind there for a second. Just the idea that something can be so simple. And yet, so complex, so, and it's the same stroke. So difficult. Yeah. All right. So, uh, coaching. Let's let's get back to that. So, how did you get into coaching? So, you went to Florida State. Obviously, had a tremendous career. Mm-hmm. Uh, go Knowles, I guess is that what they go say? Go Knowles. That's go what Knowles. they say. Okay. All right. So, and did you swim in the new pool? Was that completed when we you did? Were? So we the first year that we swam in the Morecambe Aquatic Center was my junior junior year. So okay. right before. My junior year started is when the pool opened. Okay, so you spent two years then in, in mm-hmm. Florida State's new pool, so you got to see uh, a, a building process with a, yeah. with a pool. Yeah, it was yeah. awesome. And swimming outside in Florida is, is hard to beat. Uh, yes, it, it's nice, although I would say, well, we'll get into the facility. <laughs> no, <laughs> we can, no, we crack can on your, no crack on this incredible, yeah. this incredible building. It's we, awesome. We can debate facilities because I would argue that well, yes, it's nice in September. In January, outdoors in Tallahassee, it might be a little different. And in the morning, it, in the morning, it was a little chilly. Yeah. And if it was, if it snowing. was too cold, 
we would go inside. Yeah. But by the afternoons, nine times out of ten, it was in it, it was, was in the seventies and nice, it, was, yeah. it was beautiful. Yeah. We can we can debate indoor outdoor pools uh, at different times. Okay, so you're at you're at Florida State. Uh, obviously, again, you've had tremendous success. Uh, coaching. So you got into the club ranks. Mm-hmm. What was your what was your path into coaching from college? So just kind of a gum wrapper is I after I graduated from Florida State, moved back to Roanoke. What did you study? Let me interject there. One I was second. a religion major. Okay. In college. Wow. Yeah. And Renaissance man. Renaissance man. Well, I started in poli sci and that was just didn't have a lot of substance for me. No crack on anyone doing poli sci, but it just right. wasn't super interesting. And I was trying to find some answers to some really deep questions in my life and had grown up in like in faith and things like that and going to church and being involved in church, but had some answers. And so that's actually why I decided to be a religion major was to try to try to find some, some answers. Wow. And yeah. Okay. I'm just thinking we're going to try to keep this onto the swimming. Yeah, we'll go back to, but, we'll go back to swimming. We could go down a number of different roads yeah, here. For sure. As the, <laughs> as the head swimming and diving coach here at Liberty, I would be fascinated to know more about religion at a state school like Florida State. Very be, different. Yeah. Very different than here, for yeah, sure. It would be fascinating to go down that road. Maybe we'll, we'll do uh, round three someday. We'll do round right. three on the podcast, and yeah. we'll, we'll try to keep it to something other than swimming. Definitely. Um, so. Interesting. Okay. So you're at, you're at Florida State studying religion. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then how do you go from there into club coaching? So I took a, a, a brief detour and swam post-grad for a few years. So I grew up, I swam for the Y here in Lynchburg under Hank Reed. And then we had some coaching changes. And so my family and I decided that I was going to start swimming in Roanoke under Doug Fonder, who's a legend in Virginia. And that's when my swimming really, really took off. And so he presented an opportunity to me to move back to Roanoke and to live, work and train full time and go to trials. And so I trained under him and Corey McCauley. And you know, both Doug and Corey are in- incredible friends and incredible mentors. And I'm really fortunate that I got to spend a few years, a few more years under Doug. And then really fortunate that I got to get to know Corey and get to you know experience his coaching and who he is and what he has to offer. And um, went to Olympic trials in 2012 and then had was exploring some opportunities to continue to train post-grad for another four years, but was presented an, an opportunity to coach, to start as an assistant coach in Richmond at the YMCA of Greater Richmond. One of my friends from high school that I had swam with was the head coach there. And so it's kind of taking a leap and knew that I loved swimming. I knew that I loved people and I wanted to be around the sport no matter what I wanted to do. That's what I knew. And so it's kind of, Jumped head first, got the got the job offer, and moved up to Richmond, and was an assistant for about a week. And then the head coach, my buddy, announced that he was moving to the Cayman Islands and taking a coaching job there. So I was thrust into something that I knew nothing about, and that was leadership and head coaching. And have never looked back, and have loved every moment since. And then from from Richmond, uh, was it? Was it back to L.Y. or was mm-hmm. it was it Virginia Gators? What so was it the, was 
Let, let's let's take our listeners from Richmond to mm-hmm. to Smack. To Smack, great. Yeah. So let's let's cover the gamut. So of we the, were the club coaching rules. I I coached in Richmond for about a year. Okay. And towards the end of my first year, the YMCA decided to dissolve the program, and they wanted to complement but not duplicate like-minded programming in the area, or that's what they said. And so the team dissolves. I reach out to a couple different coaches that I know in the state, and I'm like, hey, this is what's happened. If if you know of anything that comes up, I'd love to keep coaching. I don't care what it is, but I just want to keep coaching. And there was actually a position here in Lynchburg with TJ Liston in LY that had actually been filled in the months previous, but the individual that was going to take take over the the age group position his wife ended up getting a job somewhere else so that position was vacant so later that week I come in interview get the job get to move back home and so I coached with TJ for about a year and a half and then Norm Wright who was at SMAC at the time who moved on to the Kentucky Clippers who's now actually back in Virginia so I know we're all happy that Norm's back Storm and Norman's back in Virginia um, TJ suggested that I pursue that position as a, as a head coach. And, and so that was exciting and it's nice to, you know, be confirmed and edified by the person that you're working with and working for. So interviewed for that and pursued that and then became the head coach at SMAC. At SMAC. And how long were you at SMAC until, until Roanoke came up? Almost two years. Two years. Okay. So two years at SMAC and... Yeah, certainly, uh, you know, Norm Wright needs no introduction uh, to those of us here in, in Virginia. Uh, nationally, internationally, if you're listening to this, so Norm Wright, uh, he was at SMAC as a head coach, went to Northern Kentucky Clippers. Mm-hmm. Uh, now he's back at, at Nova, which is in Richmond, and uh, just a heck of a coach. And it's just been a whirlwind to see him, you know, and what he's done and, and you know, going from SMAC to, to Clippers and then back to Nova and, and you know, you look at what Jeff Brown did at Nova, and you know Norm is is probably the perfect coach. Yes. You know, when when you think about Jeff and and what Jeff has done and and how Jeff trains and how Nova mm-hmm. trains and and the reputation they have for just putting in some high quality work, and a lot of it. Yeah. Uh, you know Norm is the perfect guy to to take over that position, take over that program, and and it's exciting to have, you know, a coach like him back in the state of Virginia. Yes. Uh, so good for us, and as college coaches now, you know, yes, <laughs> that's that's good for us. We yeah. have we have a lot of swimmers uh, at Roanoke that come from the Richmond area, sure. and we have a, a quite a quite a few of Nova oh, yeah. athletes on our program. So um, I was definitely excited to see him come back, to, come back, come yeah. back home, and come back to Virginia. Yeah, we uh, here at Liberty we hosted the Virginia Senior uh, Championship meet long course this past summer, and. Uh, you know, he was on the pull deck. He was. <laughs> and it was the first time he ever saw the facility here. And he said, Jake, wow, I'm impressed, man. You got a nice nice place here. And uh, what's funny about that is I, I must have sent him mailings, you know, probably a hundred of them over the years, you know, just about the pool and the program mm-hmm. and everything. And But it takes people seeing this place to really, you really comprehend. I, I, I sent him some pictures. I, pictures don't do it justice. So Well, you know, from really from the beginning of you conceiving this this pool we've like when I was living in Lynchburg and we were we were hanging out quite a bit I saw it in its baby form you know when you 
when it was just a drawing that, yeah. that you did. And I still have that drawing. Yeah. And, yeah. and so even I remember some of the first renderings that you shared with me and you really do have to come here and see it. You know, we were talking about the, the bowl seating earlier and yeah. you've got to, you've got to be on that balcony and you've got to look down the pool to really, really grasp what it is that, that you guys have here. And it's fantastic that, that Liberty's done this for, for, for your women and your team and, and, and swimming. We ought to, uh, we ought to try to push a little bit, maybe get an ODAC conference championship meet here someday. Hey, that'd be, yeah. I think that the conference would probably be, excited for yeah, that it'd be hard to pull them away from greensboro but well yeah oh, the conference office is right up here you know, right up the road right up the it's road like 10 yeah. minutes up the road in forest and you've got what four four schools in close proximity yes five schools mm-hmm. yeah pretty close uh okay second question so that was your background uh yeah. question number two here we'll go down through the questions uh so you're at smack mm-hmm. all right take our listeners through the process of Roanoke comes open, starting a new program. Uh, you know, you're you're at Smack, head coach. Take us through your mindset. Take us mm-hmm. through that decision making process. Maybe it was hard. Maybe it wasn't. What was going through your mind? How did Roanoke come up? How did it mm-hmm. get on your radar? Take us back. I guess this was uh, what November or it December. Been November. Of, November of sixteen. Mm-hmm. Okay, so take us back. Uh, what what was that process for you? And, and take our listeners through. Okay, I'm a head coach at a club program, and I'm looking at going to be a head coach at a college program. Mm-hmm. No college experience, other than obviously, you know, on swimming the swimming there. side. Right. You, know, you got the elite level swimming experience. Uh, take us through that process. Yeah. So when the way that Roanoke was really put on my radar is one of the members of the hiring committee reached out to me. Um, just as, as a resource, asking if I had known anybody or knew anybody that was interested in, in the program. And I looked at the email and I started typing just, hey, no, all of the, all of the coaches that I know are either happily employed or they're in college. And, and so I deleted that and wrote, I'm interested. Let's talk. And so just began to get a sense of what Roanoke wanted and what they were envisioning and, and what they wanted from a program and what they wanted from a, a coach and started to get really excited about it. And let me let me interject for one second. Let me go back. Let, let's unpack that a bit more because mm-hmm. uh, I think there might be some listeners out there that are that are have been, will be, or are currently in a in a similar situation where position opens, current position. Do I make the move? What? Let's drill down a little bit. What was going through your head? And, mm-hmm. and, and so, I wrote the email. I don't know anybody that's interested. Oh wait, I'm interested. Why? What? What? What was it about Roanoke that sparked your? Well, I definitely. So I believe that you you always have to be willing to have the conversation. If if there's a door presented, you don't always have to walk through it, right? But it's it's always a good idea to to hear what what the offer is. And I think especially professionally, you need to be willing to, you need to be able to hear them and, and kind of process through them because as coaches, it's going to come up a lot. And so I was like, you know, this, this could be pretty neat. This could be a really great avenue into college coaching. This could be a really great avenue to, to build something and create something. So that was really, that was really 
energizing about it. And, and it's not that I wasn't happy in club coaching. I, I liked club coaching just fine. It's just this really, really unique and kind of once in a lifetime opportunity came up and how many, how many times does a swim team get created anymore? And, and so that was one of the big things that really kind of popped, like grabbed my eyes and got my attention was this is a new program in a sport where we're always complaining about the right. programs that are being cut. So right. to, to be a part of that was something that I thought was probably once in a lifetime. There probably wasn't going to be anything that was really similar or parallel to that that would come up professionally. And so at the least, it's like, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to hear them out and maybe I'm somebody that, that they'll want to interview or maybe they'll somebody that I can, I can talk to and fast forward, talk to the member on the hiring committee, talk to the athletic director, Scott Allison later that day. The next day I was feet on the ground in Roanoke or at Roanoke rather interviewing. And then at the end of that week was offered the position. We'll say that uh, new programs new programs don't happen often unless you're in the ODAC. Yes. <laughs> or, in, or in specifically Lynchburg, Virginia. So for our listeners, uh, we started our program from scratch back in 2010 here at Liberty. And then just in the last four years, you have Roanoke starting a new program. You have Randolph College here in Lynchburg starting a new program. And you have the University of Lynchburg here in Lynchburg. Mm-hmm all starting new programs, all in the ODAC conference. And uh, ODAC, by the way, is the Old Dominion Athletic Conference, uh, Division Three conference uh, here in Virginia, a little bit of North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Uh, Greensboro, Greensboro, William, yep. Uh, yep. Greensboro, Guilford. Guilford, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, it is interesting. There aren't many new programs except for this part of, you know, southwestern Virginia. And we have something like 10 of them Yeah. in the past few years. Absolutely, so. yeah. Good. Okay, so... Make the move to to Roanoke. Um, what are some What are some of the fears? And so it, it sounded good, obviously, and it's something you wanted to explore professionally and so mm-hmm. forth. And being a head coach, college, and certainly you, you know, I, I know this just from knowing you. I mean, you you enjoyed the college scene. You enjoyed yeah. college swimming. You like working with that level of athlete, yep. and you you don't mind the recruiting. You don't nope. mind the grind. You know, it is a grind, and but you love that. I yeah, mean, that's that's part of who you are. Uh, but what fears or hesitations uh, did you have? Any, any, and just so, so you you were hired in December, right? And then mm-hmm. it was, hey, we're doing this in the fall. So six had, months later. Yeah, you had six months to get a team together. Yeah, and and I admire that. So so here at Liberty, we had a, a full year to mm-hmm. recruit, and and at Lynchburg, Brad had a full year, right. you know, to recruit and, and work with a team. You had five months to get a team together. So the good thing was is that I didn't know any different or any better. So That's true. Okay. And but I, I knew that some of the other new newer programs in the conference maybe had a little bit more time, but you know, we had from really January until May to identify talent, get kids on campus, start to build a roster. So that's those are the you know, the confines that we worked within and I I was really afraid that we wouldn't have any swimmers <laughs> that, and that was really, really early on, you know, that's like really, uh, day zero on campus, you know, there's, well, and it was late in the game. I mean, it was very late in the game, you know, d- December to start recruiting for that coming year. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
you know, obviously the, the D1 type kids have already made their decision, you know, for yes. the most part. Uh, and so, you know, the, the pool gets ever so smaller the closer yes. you get to June. Right? And we had maybe, we had four questionnaires. <laughs> yeah. Four questionnaires when um, my first day on campus. And so the... Did you have any any students that were current Roanoke students? Yes. That, okay. So we, we definitely... Really, obviously, the, the two avenues that we're looking at, one and the easiest avenue is trying to find people current, on campus, current, current, students, current sure. swimmers on campus. So we found a few current swimmers or a few current students that had swam in high school or had, had swam club. and Well, and they can help because they can, they can teach you about Roanoke. Yeah, right. Definitely. They can fill you in from a student-athlete, student perspective at that point. And they, and they did. They were definitely really mm-hmm. helpful. And, and that, that gave me time to like develop relationships with people and to get to know people and also to get to know the school a little yeah. bit better. I'm sure they were able to help with recruiting as well. So you bring kids in on yeah. a visit and you already have people that know Roanoke. They know, know Roanoke the and they're, they're, they were our hosts and they were the people that took care of the guys right. and girls that we brought on for, right. for recruiting trips in that short time. And um, very early on, you know, the fear was, what if, what if no one what if no one comes? What if, what yeah. if this isn't like the field of dreams and the team just magically shows up out yeah. of out of out of nowhere? But very quickly, my I, favorite movie, by the way, it's a really great movie. That's yeah, my favorite. Very movie. quickly, you know, we the the coaches that I know in in Virginia and the coaches that I know regionally were incredibly helpful in, in helping me get in touch with athletes and, and families that could possibly be interested. And you know, we had people from you know the past few years we've I've been really fortunate to have athletes that I've coached in the past and club and so using the the resources and the contacts that I have and you know using the I would say your typical recruiting resources especially in division three like NCSA and in college swimming to just kind of get that overall look at talent did a lot of traveling Met up with a lot of people, went to a lot of meets, just trying to get the hey, Roanoke is is doing this thing that we call swimming, and so hey, we're we're really excited about this, and this is what we want to build, and we want to find people that want to come come build it with us, and so you know, six months basically, January to May, and we ended up with um, twenty four or twenty five on our first roster, and. And quite honestly, I would have been really happy with one, just one kid, you know. Did you have a minimum that the athletic department? Okay. No. That's, and that's that was, nice. I, it is so easy to work with Scott Allison and, and Rono College. They just, they let me hit the ground running and there wasn't any, I don't think anyone knew what to expect because although it wasn't unique that Roanoke was starting swimming within the conference, it was unique that within the range of teams that were starting, Roanoke had announced later and hired a coach much later than the other teams. And so, and the, the new teams had a mix of roster sizes so far. And so there weren't any expectations put on me. And still to this day, there's, I've never been told, hey, you need to have this number or that number. And they've, the, the school and, and our athletic department has done nothing but support me and, and, you know, allowed me to keep moving forward and recruiting hard and, 
and they, they let me build, they let us build a program that elicits success and, and helps create success. And, and so I'm, you know, I'm been really happy about that. And that's been really, really a great part of, of, of building what we have at Roanoke. Yeah, absolutely. Let's, uh, that's a great lead in my next question. Uh, so you're, you're starting year three, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you've had a, again, smashing success as they say <laughs> down under, uh, for our Aussie friends, uh, just just a, a great first two years, a great start. Yeah, uh, you know, take us through that. Uh, you know, what what did it take? I mean, how'd you do it? What? I mean, you, you really, if you if you think about it, so starting a new program from scratch, you have five months to put together a team, uh, and then year number two, the the men are second in the ODAC, and the women are third, mm-hmm. and the women have an NC two A qualifier. Mm-hmm. Uh, 55 backstroker and and both programs have you know multiple conference champions champions. and and, uh you know you're you're i mean i'm I'm sure the folks in in lexington you're on their radar right (laughs) hope Uh, so and so for our for our listeners uh washington and lee uh has just been you know the class of the ODAC for quite some time now, yes. and, and you know they're a top twenty-five. Yeah, they're a great, great program, uh, Division three program, and and so, you know, they've been the ones to chase, you know, yeah. for the rest of the ODAC to chase. But uh, boy, you know, you you got to second place on the men's side in a hurry, and uh, you know, having worked with one of your your athletes, student athletes this summer, Brian mm-hmm. uh, Grimmett, you know, if your if your whole men's team is like him or even remotely close, you know, it'd be a blast to work with those guys. It'd, it'd, Life would be a lot easier if we had a pool full of Brian Grimmitz. Right, right. Right. He's a great, great young man and incredible family. And he's one of those athletes that's just a, a pleasure to work with. Yeah. You know, I know I'm sure we, we all have those athletes and I like to think that a majority of our, our athletes are like that, but he, he, he knocks it out of the park. And I would, I would agree. Uh, he was a, a definite pleasure to work with and we, we bounced quite a few, uh, physics ideas off mm-hmm. of each other and uh he's uh and he works hard and, and just yeah i had a great summer and anyhow uh we could talk about him ad nauseum uh but i want to go back to that so starting year three you know what what did it take it, and another question and, and sort of a lead on or an add-on to that uh, what advice would you give to knowing what you know now mm-hmm. what advice would you give to the scott thacker of december of 16 yeah if you could give advice to you when you're starting the program, knowing what you know now, and then what did it take to, to basically go from no program to the second best team in the conference in just right. two years? So the, the answer of success is found in our rising sophomores. So our second, our second recruiting class. When I first got on campus, I started recruiting our first class and I started recruiting our second class equally as equally with as much energy and enthusiasm. And so having a little bit more time in, in terms of being able to identify talent, being able to build relationships with families and with swimmers and being able to really look for people that can can help to, to get us to where we want to be. And we, we brought in a really big class. You know, we brought in a class of 20 plus last year. And, and there's a lot of really good talent within that within that pool we had a, the men's 50 freestyle champion who was a, a freshman and then a 100 
and 200 breaststroke champion, a 400 AM champion on the men's side and the men's rookie of the year. And our both squads really, really filled out and, and got deep. And so in the simplest of, of ways to say it is we had more people who were scoring points. So we scored more points right. and going into the year, the, we, we, we knocked all the check check marks if that makes sense we we wanted to win a couple of events at conference we wanted our men to to be second and we wanted our women to be to be third and and we're very honest with with our team in terms of hey if this is where we want to go well these are some really good markers of where we need to be over the next three five years and so obviously having our larger roster and having um more people and, and more talented talent. yeah, talent. athletes yeah, really, people. really, really helped. Yeah. And, but how do, how do you get them? I mean, how do you, what's your, what's your 30 second elevator pitch? I mean, how do you, I mean, obviously the, the answer is, well, we had a lot better kids, mm-hmm. but how do you, how do you get better kids into a new program that has very little history, very little tradition? I mean, mm-hmm. swimming was loosely a thing at Roanoke yeah. in the forties and maybe in the fifties and sixties, but yeah. it wasn't really, you know, Roanoke swimming. Right. Division three member. It was yeah. sort of club, sort of this, sort of loose affiliation. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you convince those freshmen or, you know, the rising sophomores to come? Yeah, so I I don't really I'm gonna be honest, I don't really have a pitch. Okay. Because everyone's got a pitch, right? right? Every, every school has the three or four things that they're great at, and they're top 10 on, on this list, and they're so just top, sheer will, top willpower, 12 on, just sheer on willpower, that list. You and, got kids to come. You know, for, for me, with recruiting, I, I want to be 100% myself, 100% relationship with the athlete and with the family, and, and 100% Roanoke College. Um, if, if you're not wearing maroon, I'm, I'm not worried about you. And... You know, we. What I know is that we're not the only place that our our prospects are going to be looking at. And the best thing that I can do for our school and the best thing that I can do for our program is just be 100% us and 100% authentic. And if if you know me and if you you swim for me, you know that we're trying to create a talented program and a high achieving program. We. We want to be the team that's at the top of the conference. We want to be a team that's top 50 in the country and then top 25 in the country. And we want to have NCAA qualifiers and NCAA champions. So just being really, being really clear and putting a whole lot of energy and enthusiasm in, into not only what we want to be as a team, but who we want to become while we're on that road. And that's what I do. There's, there's nothing... I don't think there's really any antidotes that I have that would be like it's this thing in recruiting or it's that thing. And when when I first started, I I really just focused on the thing that I thought was I was the best at, and that was getting along with people and building relationships with people. So that's what I really focus on. I want if if an athlete is going to decide that Roanoke isn't the place for them, I want it to be a really, really hard decision for them because, like, they, they love our team, they love our school, they, they love our staff. And so I just focus on, you know, filling their cups and build, building relationships with them and, and, like, loving on them through the, the recruiting process and getting to know them. Let's say, uh, as a thought experiment, let's say that I'm a high school, 
uh, let's say I'm starting my senior year. I'm a high school boy, starting senior year, and I'm uh, you know I'm, I'm twenty one zero forty six eight fifty hundred free. Give me three reasons why I should swim for you at Roanoke College. So I would give me three. The first thing that I would that I would say is, obviously we're going to take care of you. My number one priority is to value you as a person over your performance in the water. Where I'm a people first kind of coach. Second thing, we're going to talk about the quality of education you're going to get. We've got a 12 to 1 student faculty ratio, a, a campus of 2,000. Your professors are going to know your name. Your the chair of your department of your major is going to write your letter of recommendation for your first job or for graduate school. So you're going to be known and who you are and, and what you love and what makes you tick is going to be known not only by your friends, but by the people that teach you and the people that coach you. And, and third, just take a look at what we do, take a look at our results. And I think it's clear that we, we've, we put our athletes in positions to be successful and to be successful when it matters. And, you know, we, that's all we do. We provide the avenue to, to be successful in this thing of, of college athletics. That's a pretty good elevator pitch for not having one. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah, a little more than 30 seconds, but a yep. good one nonetheless. Okay. Um, yeah, and absolutely. I would, I would say as much, uh, you know, from an, from an outsider, you know, looking in and, and knowing you, and we had some conversations about starting up the program, and you, mm-hmm. you know, were, were were kind enough to ask me for advice, and that was humbling for me, and and you know, thank you for that. You know, Definitely, that was that was neat to to see, and you know, certainly uh, was we're in the same boat. I was in the same boat, you know, Jess and I ten years ago starting yeah. up here from scratch, and as I said, we had a year, a year and a month. To do it, whereas you had five, mm-hmm. you know, and you really had to get going. Uh, but yeah, as far as results, you know, it's hard to argue with what you've done in, in two years. That's the uh, beauty about swimming; you can't argue with can't argue with data and numbers, uh, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. In God we trust. All others must bring data. Yes. yes. No, you know, I we do. I, I will say this though: the it, it's a lot more than what we do on deck. It's the professors that get behind our athletes it's administration that gets behind our swimmers it's it's our athletic department that have been super selfless in helping helping us get what we need and you know we 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 don't have the the creme de la creme of of training training facilities we train out of two two facilities one is the salem ymca which is this beautiful eight lane short course pool that overlooks the Blue Ridge Mountains and, and the city of Salem and we have an incredible relationship with the Y and they take awesome care of us and we're really fortunate to to actually have the Y on our Elizabeth campus which is our which is just a separate portion of our campus in Salem but we have a a three-lane 20-yard pool that we lovingly call the tank, tank. And, and and when I was interviewing for the position I, Scott Allison and I were we were sitting we were standing in front of the pool and there's some some glass and you can look down into the pool and it's almost kind of like a fish tank and that's why we call it the tank and i was like yeah we can we can do this these are going to be some things that we need we're going to need lane ropes and backstroke flags and tees on the bottom of the pool so we don't run into the wall and, and power towers. we need power towers then which I need, you which and you I need, had when you showed up on campus which yeah is impressive. i was like we this is a, a device and a tool that I really believe in and is really, really beneficial. And 
I need three of them. And, <laughs> which you've purchased power towers in the past, and I knew exactly what type of price tag I was asking for, but that's what I really believe that would help us use that facility to get every every ounce of possibility out of it. Yeah. And uh, about two weeks later, he Scott Allison called me. He's like, you need three? Said, yep, three. And so showed up. There's three power towers That's ready, ready to, ready to uh, be put to use. So, just a lot of success. My my family is incredibly supportive of, and allowing me to work hard and to be passionate about a sport that I love. And my wife is is the best. You know, she she's on this journey with me every step of the way, and and um, I'm lucky to have the support that we do. And I've got one of the best assistants in college swimming. Period. Brandon Ress and it. He's been such a such a pleasure to work with and such a joy to work with. We like we speak swimming a lot of the same ways and we're passionate about a lot of the same things with our with our team. And so I I've I've gotten really lucky and I've knocked it out of the park with the people that have chosen to surround our program and, and really champion it and the behind the scene scene ways. Yeah, it's it's really the the people uh, you know that that make the difference and. You know, it, it a pool is a pool is a pool, and some are, mm-hmm. you know, some have more bells and whistles than others. Uh, but we're, you know, we're we were in a similar situation when we started here. You know, year number two, we were at NC two A's, and you know, we didn't have a fifty meter pool. Nice, uh, let's and and yeah, I mean, it's it's just hard work and getting kids to believe and training yeah. and, and everything else, and and well, it helps to have talent. You know, I mean, it, it certainly does. It's uh, you know that always helps, but. Um, yeah, it's absolutely possible to build a program and, and you know, build a, a winner without, you know, you can do it with an eight-lane pool and a three-lane yeah. pool. Well, you know, our our very first year, we had four of our sessions of training were at the Y, and then the other four were in the tank. And so, you know, roughly half of our, half of our swimming was done in this three-lane 20-yard pool, and and Riley Bird, who's our NCAA qualifier yeah, in the 100 backstroke, backstroke this year, yeah. as a freshman, she was the ODAC champion in the 100 backstroke out of a three-lane 20-yard pool. So I think that not only what she does in the water, but who she is. She's incredibly gifted in the classroom. She's a super high-caliber athlete and a really high-caliber human being. And it really doesn't hurt to have people like that in your program and loving your program and being a great, a great representation of your program. And she, you know, she's somebody early on that, that sticks out. Year one, you have a conference champion in right. B qualifier. Okay, cool. And that makes us look, makes us look good. And, and then obviously having athletes that are successful, that, that grow and succeed. And, and our team like loves the tank and buy into it and it, it's a piece of our puzzle that gives us a whole lot of personality and it gives us a really great rattling rattling yeah. point you know well and I'm, I'm just thinking as a as a sprint guy sprint minded guy if i'm looking to train a hunter backstroker and really work my walls and work my underwaters three lane 20 yard sprint tank with three power towers and three power racks yep uh what else because you're, you're number two right you got three power racks to add to the three no. towers 
the racks are coming this year. Racks are coming this year. Racks okay. are coming this year. So yeah, gosh, I mean, you know, you think back to the old stories, the the folklore now, the legends about you know David Marsh and the Auburn Sprint Program. When they wanted to really get after it, they set the bulkhead to 15 meters. Yep. You know, and and <laughs> well, I think that when you shortening things up and allowing for higher tempo, allowing, and I know we'll get into training, but those short sprint distances really, really bode well and really, really transfer well to short course yard swimming. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It reminds me of, uh, I believe it's a talent code, uh, coil. And it's the, the Brazilian, do you remember, the, have you read talent code? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, I it's think on it's, my, it's on my list of books that I made for this, this okay. podcast. I, I think it's talent code. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, where he's talking about the Brazilian soccer game that's faster and played mm-hmm. on a smaller field. With a smaller ball. With a smaller ball, and everything is faster. Yep. And so then when they get on the larger field, you know, then it, it seems like it's in slow motion. And how that, and like I think it's called foot sack, how it shaped the way that Brazil plays football, yeah. plays soccer, yeah. and how it, because Brazil are some of the best ball handlers. Right, right. In close quarters. And, Exactly. In, in, the, in the world. And just developing those skills, you know, in a, um, you know, I guess our, our, our similarity would be uh, short pools or overspeed training mm-hmm. you know, with cords, yep. you know, neuromuscular stim, looking at high speed adaptations, faster than normal, uh, you know, stroke technique to, to really hone yep. high speeds. I'm not sure what you call it exactly. Um, you know, it would, be, it would be some type of neuromuscular potentiation. Uh, and maybe we'll get into that when we get to the training. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, a 20-yard tank for training a 100 backstroker, you know. Yeah. You kick out, you take two strokes, and you need to be ready to turn, right? You need to be ready to, need to, be ready to turn over and push off the wall again. And right. what's nice is that it's 20 yards. It's, we can get hundreds, we can get 200s. It, it's really easy to translate into facts and figures and data that, are, are tangible to right. us it's not a 23 yard pool or a 21 yard pool and yeah so it, it and we we're continually figuring out ways to get creative and and make it work you know from the 50 free to the mile it it works for all of our events we had a young lady who was second in the mile at conference and dropped 45 seconds in the mile and dropped 10 seconds in the 500 and well, our our distance group are they're training just as often in the tank as our sprinters, and you know, like I said, from the fifty to the mile, it, it forces us to get creative and it forces us to to get a little unorthodox, which is a really fun picture to paint. It's a really fun thing to do, and right. and it's something that really, with no hesitation and no difficulty, our team has bought in to from from the very beginning. How, uh, let me ask you this, how, how deep is the, is the pool, the tank? It goes, it's four and a half feet in the shallow end, and then it goes down to about seven feet, okay. and then back up just a little bit to six feet. Okay. So yeah, I'm thinking, you know, if I'm looking to train a two medley relay, you know, 50 free types, two free relay, you know, again, you've got, this year you're going to have three power towers, mm-hmm. three power racks. A twenty-yard tank, yeah. you know, that's four and a half feet deep at the shallow end. Uh, any weight belts? Yeah. Okay. So they're a little, they're they're homemade. Okay. But we do we do have weight belts. So we 
we use so that's a that's a sprint coach dream right there sprint coach dream yeah so the the weight belts that i want aren't in our budget quite yet but so i got a we have 15 of them we have a handful of like military nylon belts and just small rubber weights we have two and a half we have fives we have a few small few small tens and it's something that our our sprinters use them all the time and um do you want to start getting into getting into training or what, i do want to say I, I know i didn't answer yeah what, what i would what tell advice, what i would tell myself what advice would you give to your yeah. 2016 self yeah this is what we do we just get off on tangents yeah. and start talking this is how it normally this is how it normally goes normally goes yeah. so uh, i knowing what you know now knowing what, what i know tell, now what would you tell scott um, thacker in 2016 i would very very simply just tell myself and remind myself that it's okay to let people go it's okay to allow yourself the space to remove people from your program that aren't making your program better wow and i think that we're talking about dismissal from the team we're talking about we are cutting people okay wow and and it's that's hard it it is it is really hard i think that's a sensitive subject yeah yeah, I think that there's okay. there's a whole lot of leadership books that don't talk about that. Yeah, let, right? let's go there. Okay. There's a there's a whole lot of there's a whole lot of podcasts with leaders and and coaches that that don't talk about. The yeah. reality is that at some point there's going to be somebody on the bus that is not only not on the right seat but isn't on the right bus the to right begin bus, with. Yeah. And I was not expecting that response, but let's let's go there. Yeah, let's. Uh, that is to assume then that you were hesitant about yes. cutting people. Yeah. And that looking back, uh, don't be hesitant. Right. Uh, you know, obviously without, we, we would never name names or, or no. you know, make it personal. But what are some big takeaways that other coaches out there listening might, you know, might benefit from as far as right. getting the right people on the bus, building a culture, being a culture warrior? Mm-hmm. You know, getting people that are yeah. buying into excellence and the values and, and everything. Yeah. So when you're when you're creating something or leading something, you you want the end result of what you're doing to be successful, right? So you have to perform for that. Performance is it's obviously capability and it's talent, but it's also behavior. And we we've from the beginning outlined some very simple standards and expectations, and we want what we what we want to accomplish and where we want to go to dictate and set those standards and expectations. And the most delicate thing that we're doing even now, and I would, we haven't built the program. We're still, we're still hammering on it. We're still building it. The, the most delicate thing that you're going to do is either build or break your culture. And so we, every day, it's every it's every, every day. single day, and you know there's there's times where there's athletes that I feel like I've treated fairly, meaning they got a little bit of grace and they got a second chance and they took it and they they ran with it, and and you feel good about that. And I think sometimes for me, like what I found myself doing was I was trying a lot harder than maybe some of our student athletes are trying into to make making our program a, a better place and and 
over you know the past two years, we've had people that have either been dismissed from the team or have stepped away from the team, and those instances have helped me realize that I always have to be willing to provide space for the people that are going to leave this program better than they found it. And by no means do I expect anyone to do it perfect 100% of the time. You know, we're going to say, hey, being a part of this program is special. You're special. We have really high expectations and really high standards because this is where we're trying to go. And I know that you can, I know that you can meet these and, and are given that opportunity to make the changes, make the corrections, um, you know, add add positivity and add value to the the community, our little our little swim tribe, and being good positive advocates and proponents of what we're what we're trying to build. And I think that what I would tell anybody, any coach, anybody that's trying to start a business, the people that you start with are not going to be the people that you finish with. The people that you bring on, some are going to stay, some are going to leave. And you have to be willing when you when you know that somebody isn't adding the value that you want, you've got to be willing to say, Jake, it's been nice, but we've tried this a few times and we've been over this and it's it's time that, you know, we, we part ways. And at the end of the day, being an NCAA athlete, division one, two, three, NAIA, NAIA junior college something that we we get to do it's a privilege that we have and I treat coaching like a privilege every day that I get to wake up and, and put feet on the deck and and you know pursue excellence in in this sport that I love it's a privilege and it's something that I absolutely get to do and and that's what we want and so be be very selfish and be very be very burdened by your culture and allow the people that you you know and trust and do the right things, allow them the space to not compete with toxicity and, and, and individuals that aren't trying to put your culture in the best position. And that goes, that goes for everyone. That's just not a new program thing. That's a, that's a business thing. That's, that's a life thing. Right, right. Let me ask you this, uh, and, and I got this question quite a bit early on, you know, the first four years of our program's founding, uh, people would ask me, you know, is it harder to start a new program Mm -hmm. or is it harder to come into a culture that's already been established and try to change it? And I actually, I actually thought that it'd be easier to start a program from scratch Mm -hmm. and start a culture from scratch than have to try to change one. would you agree? What kind of where are you in that? So I, I would agree totally. To, yeah, yeah I totally agree because you're all you're doing. What you get to do when you start something is you get to put out you know, your manifesto, yeah, here's your what your doing. ethos and yeah. what you want to what you want to do and yeah. who you are and who your program is. You, you don't have anything to compete with. Right, right. Nothing and, to change. Yeah, and then, and know. then it's just it's as simple, which is not simple, but it's as easy, which is not easy just finding people to fit into that machine that you're, that yeah, you're building. But I do, and I think that there's a few conversations that I've had and a lot of, like some with you and some with t- coaches that have built programs and coaches that have rebuilt programs and all of them, every single one of them, 
the advice that I just gave, they gave to me in some shape or form. Maybe it came in the form of start black and white. So start with a really, really hard, bold line in terms of like what's okay and what's not. And then you can go a little bit more gray or um, just being willing to maybe sacrifice numbers and a conference place or two to have the right for people. For the long term. For yeah. the long term. So maybe in your one of your rebuild or your new program, your your eighth, because you you had to trim some of the fat. You had to you had to make a way for more positivity and, and more culture. But the carryover that's gonna have in year five, year six, year seven is is massive. And there's a there's a few programs around the country that have done that and that are having tremendous success because they valued where they were going and they valued their future tremendously. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, it's, um, gosh, it is a sensitive subject because, you know, now we're yeah. talking about, we're talking about, you know, college age student athletes and we're talking about whether or not they will remain members of the organization. Yeah. Uh, and that's you know not an easy topic to to discuss. W one way that we look at it, and that we try to encourage our women here at Liberty to look at the situation, is that okay. Here we have the established culture. We have the I don't want to say rules and regs, but you know these are are the things that we do. Mm -hmm. These are the things that we've established that are important to our program. These are the values that we hold dear, so yeah. to speak. And if these are not your values, if these are not things that you value and things that you hold dear and things that you want to maintain and improve in this program, then that is you telling us that you actually don't want don't to be, be a member of the program. Yeah. You, you are not you know, part of the yeah. tribe. You don't have the same values. You're not wearing the same jersey. You're, you're mm -hmm. not speaking the same language. You don't have the same beliefs. And we tell them that's okay. It's just, you know, you're, you're just not... You're not part of the, the tribe, yeah. and uh, you know, if you want to be a part of the tribe, then do what the tribe does. Yeah. And that is not to say that we don't allow for individualism. Yeah. But you know, you might like chicken, and someone else might like steak. Right? That's silly. But I like steak. Well, okay, you like steak, <laughs> and someone else likes chicken, right? And that's where you can be an individual. Yeah. But when it comes to our team values, as you said, you're either on the bus or not. Or you're not. Yeah. Yeah. And. and and I think that we need, I think that our young people that, that we get to work with need a little bit more black and white, need a little bit more reality in the way that success is going to come into their lives and the way that life is going to be. And, and, and what you could say at the end of this is being willing to hold people to high expectations and, and expecting dedication and commitment and excellence and because if you don't if you don't value those things you're going to get the opposite of them sure yeah <laughs> it's going to happen it's going to happen really really quick Absolutely. and so it's delicate and it's really hard and there's a lot of literature on on culture and there's a lot of literature on how to make incredible team team units and so it is something that is incredibly continuous and that's been one of the really really the most rewarding thing to watch with our program and, and please don't get this confused. Like it's, it's exciting to win races and it's exciting to perform well, but watching, watching young men and women like 
grow in character and grow in integrity and, and grow into people that are leading each other and valuing a group and valuing their unit is is so cool to watch and it's it's so awesome to see and it's something that that I take pride in like when I was kind of going through a lot of like the internal dialogue that happens in the off season about what we want to change and thinking about guys like Riley I'm sorry guys like Brian and girls like Riley and um, that are incredible members of our culture and incredible members of our team it's like what am I doing to make this a space and place where their attitudes and efforts can be contagious and where they can really, really lift up the other people in their, in, in their program and on their team and, and not have them needing to compete with like really toxic and opposite voices. And, and that's the way that I look at it. If, if you're not, if you're really deliberately going out of your way to, to not honor the things that we're doing, and they're very simple. We have yeah. like three or four actual rules. Yes, it's not and hard. They're, they're, not, they're not difficult. Then you're telling me that you do not want to be a part of this and you do not value what we're trying to do because the standards are part of the process and the process is how we get to the results. And what you're telling me is that you're not valuing February. You're not valuing March. Yeah. Right? You're not, you're, not, you're not valuing a lot of the things that you're being presented and given. And... And then when you when I put it in the lens of when I see the faces of all the really great humans that I'm privileged to coach, it makes it so easy. Sure. Yeah, and it's uh, another way that we look at it is you know, we don't we don't ever cut people. We simply here, here at Liberty, it's kind of a we, we don't we don't cut people, but. By their actions, they've made the decision they don't want to be yeah. Yeah, a member of the program, and so we just make it easy for them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, one of those. Because uh, yeah, if you're, you know, if you're, and it goes for business, it goes for, uh, you know, any type of organization, whether it be athletic or a nonprofit, or, you know, they're going to have certain expectations. They're going to have certain, I don't say rules and regs, but they might. You know, they're going to have certain ways of doing things. And if you don't want to do it, then you're saying to that. You know those leaders in that organization. I just I don't really value mm-hmm. being here. I don't care to be here. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and that's you know that's Jim Collins, good to great. You know, yep. and, and the first thing was get the right people on the bus. Yeah. And, and, and that's, we, uh, you know, we have one of my one of my favorite books on life is Legacy by James Kerr. It's about the the resurgence of the New Zealand All Blacks and one of the big pieces of their culture is their their jersey, their their all blacks jersey, and that's their what they call their colors. And and so a lot of our discussion about culture and character and integrity is how do we represent our colors? And our colors are it's our white cap and with the maroon Roanoke on the side. And that's something that the program in totality has to earn every single year. Where they don't get a we don't get a Roanoke cap right off the bat. And and it's hey, are you are you putting this cap? Are you putting this school and this program in in a better in a better place than you found it? I've uh, yeah, that that reminds me of many 
many episodes and instances here at Liberty in the past 10 years and, and gear and caps and we've done a lot of different things over the years to to you know simulate that same type of mm-hmm. of uh, culture and whether it's been not handing out gear until certain requirements are met or, or you know different things with seniors or NCAA qualifiers and not to get too into the weeds there but I think a lot of it just comes down to you know, here are the colors, as you say. This is the symbol of our tribe. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to be part of this group, you've got to do what the group does. Yeah. And, you know, humans are incredibly tribal, and, and mm-hmm. that's part of our DNA somewhere. Yeah. You know, and whether you believe in, in evolutionary biology or you believe in creation, it works for both. Right. right? Tribalism works for both. I mean, yes. you've got tribes of Israel and you've got tribes in in the jungle and you've got tribes everywhere I mean that's just we are we are tribal in nature and yeah and uh, you know we have our political tribes and our athletic tribes and, and our nutrition tribes nutrition and our exercise tribes, tribes sure I mean you're, you're paleo and you're keto and you're this and you're that and, and you're CrossFit and Orange yeah. Theory and you're <laughs> you're USRPT and you're sure extra you're over distance and yeah yeah, everybody has a tribal label. Yeah, well, we yeah. we were we are people that. Um, grew. We, we like that is what I'm saying. We do. I mean, that's yeah. part of us, we, and it's a part of our it's a part of our belong. DNA. It's right. a part of our biology. We, right. for a very long time, we operated in a nuclear fashion like fashion. We we operated with being surrounded by family and good community, and that's something within I think the depths of all of us we really desire a strong, compelling community. And so looking for any way to, to create that and to, to develop it and to foster it. And I think the most deliberate thing that you can do is to make sure that you're, you're protecting that culture and, and you're telling a story as to why, why it means something for us to wear a Rono cap, what it, what it means to have, you know, this, this symbol of, of not only our team, not only our school, not only Bear City, but it, it it's a representation of ourselves, you know. So the advice that you would give yourself uh, back in 2016 was to, you know, not be hesitant to dismiss people from the team. Uh, let me switch gears. Uh, next question. All right, so we're starting year number three, head coach at, at Roanoke. What advice would you give to assistants that are looking to make the jump to being a head coach. Great. Knowing knowing what you know now, Division three head coach, two years in, what would you tell an assistant who emailed you and said, hey, I'm thinking about being a head coach? What advice would you give them? So I would, I would say that the more people you know, the better. The more college coaches you know and the more college coaches that you can get around and, and be around – whether it's volunteering or working swim camps or just saying, sending an email and, and asking a few questions, you've got to really, you've got to develop your relationships and you have to have, you, you absolutely need to know people. And, but I would also say that don't be in a rush from being an assistant to being a head coach. And that time as an assistant is a time for you to really work on refining what you believe and you get to you get to watch somebody lead 
you get to watch somebody lead lead the team or coach the coach the group that you want to coach or do the work you want to do and so really value that time and really learn from that time and and don't be in a rush to get to that head coaching position because at some point it will happen and you'll realize very quickly that you are not ready there's a whole lot that you wish you knew and so it'll it'll come be patient don't be in a rush use your time as an assistant to really like fine-tune your your skills and fine-tune your your philosophy and and what you what you believe about the sport and and fine-tune who you are and you know what your story is and and use it as a time to learn because what I've noticed one of the most difficult things for me in spending a good portion of my career as a head coach is that as a head coach you you have very limited time to to learn to really learning in the sense of learning like in a mentorship or an apprenticeship or a volunteer position or um, something something like that. So really value that time where you can really get next to people and, and have coaches invest in you and, and mentor you. And we'll, uh, I know you spent some time at NC State this summer mm-hmm. uh, and, and absolutely as far as mentorship and, and learning and we'll get to that as far as professional development and training um, but I'm sure that must have been a a pretty neat experience. It was incredible. Yeah. It was it was great. Awesome. Uh, and then the, the other question sort of related to that one that I had in there. How did you know that you were ready to lead a college program? So I, you're the head coach at SMAC. Yeah. You know, you, you get the email. Well, I don't really know anybody that's interested. Well, wait a minute. I'm interested. Uh, you know, kind of take us back there. If there are other assistants listening or, or even, you know, club coaches Let's assume that college assistant coaches are listening. Mm-hmm. Let's assume that maybe club coaches are listening. They want to be a college head coach. You know, they want to take your step. Um, how did you know that you were ready? And and how did you? Was it something inside you that, or you just had to do it? it was just a leap of faith. I mean, how did how did you work through that internally? Right. I would say a little bit of both. I would say that it was definitely a gigantic leap of faith into what it was because um, you had no you had no college experience right no. I mean you obviously elite level athlete but from a coaching perspective it was all club mm-hmm. yeah you didn't have you know most assistant or let's say head coaches at the college level they had previous assistant experience at the college right. level extremely rare that somebody would go from a club head coach into a college head coaching role and just skip all the assistants, you know. And I'm, Skipped a lot. Yeah, and I'm sure that there's there's probably some assistants out there that, you know, they're... they're like, hey, who's this rascal? Yeah, they're not mad, but they're probably thinking, you know, I've been paying my dues as an assistant for some time, yeah. and, and here's a guy that, you know, coming from the club ranks, and he's, he's a head coach now. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, but, but how did you know? How did you know you were ready and, and take us through that process? I do, so I... I don't necessarily believe that you're always going to feel ready for whatever that big step is. And the only thing that I knew is that I I had faith that if I hit the ground running and used the resources that I have and stayed positive and, and, and really believed that we could build something, like I could fill in the gaps between the transition. I could fill in the gaps of not having any recruiting experience or any college coaching experience or I think that the probably the most glaring thing would be that I had never recruited and 
so the thing that I, I naturally just went to was my love for people and my love for talking to people and getting to know people. And I love to, you know, I love to dart around and talk to everybody and get to know everybody. And so that's what I really relied on in terms of building relationships with people. And that's the foundation of my, my recruiting philosophy. And, you know, I, I think that in short, if you, if you believe that you can do it, then believe that you can do it and put yourself in the position to be ready to say yes to profound opportunities that, that come your way. And, um, and I, because I, I don't think there's any magic, you know, I'm sure it was probably similar to you. You know, you're, you're at Penn State and then you get this opportunity to, one, not only be a head coach of a, a Division One program, which is incredible, but you've got to start it. So what I want to know what, what your thought process was and how, how, did you, how did you navigate that and get from point A to point B? Yeah, uh, interesting note there with, with my story specifically. There's, there's, a pre, there's a prequel to the story that not many people know about. Uh, after I graduated from Shippensburg in December of 2005, uh, I got a job working masonry and, and doing some construction that spring. And then that summer, I was actually hired by Millersville University, Division II school mm -hmm. in the PSAC. I was hired by Millersville to be their head coach. Right. Uh, so I had just graduated from Shippensburg. I had a little bit of club experience, no college experience. You know, I had summer league experience. <laughs> I was right. head coach of the Mount Joy Summer League swim team. And, uh, you know, Millersville hired me as their head women's Division II swim coach right and I was a ripe old age of 23 and uh, boy talk about being you know <laughs> thrown into a position where in way over your head I didn't know anything about swimming I was really good at taking 8 10 12 year olds and getting them really fast for two laps you know? <laughs> <laughs> and in the case of the 8s and 10s for one lap I mean right. Lan Lancaster County Summer Swim League we were going 25s you know just 25s for the 8s and 10s 12s 14s and open swim 50s uh, but I didn't know a darn thing about swimming. Didn't know anything about recruiting. I mean, just completely green. Mm -hmm. And went in there to, to Millersville as the, the head coach. Um, so really, it was it was Penn State that taught me. You know, I had to learn the ropes at Penn State. Right. And it was Penn State and Arizona. And and by the time I had been at Penn State for three years, and then a I was a volunteer assistant during that time at Arizona for a summer, uh, you know, I felt confident that I could you know, lead, go back to being a head coach. So I went right. from Division Two Millersville head coach with no experience whatsoever yeah. to assistant at Penn State, and that's where I learned the sport, elite level. Arizona, you know, working with world record holders, Olympic gold medalists. I mean, Roland Schumann mm -hmm. was there. And, yeah. you know, the entire, the entire Arizona, uh, you know, program, they, they were all elite. Uh, the men and women, the next year, you know, they won NC2As, both teams, you know. So we were... Right. Obviously, got an introduction to elite level swimming and diving there as well, but but I guess the the point is that you know I went from head coach back to assistant to learn, mm -hmm. and that was a step I took professionally that I thought would be really good for me. I'm at I'm at D two Millersville head coach, yeah. don't know anything, and then Penn State had an opportunity to go there to an assistant. I'm going to take that step down in title, which really wasn't. I mean, you're going from D two to D one, uh, Big Ten. So, you know, once you're at, at Penn State and Arizona for, 
for that amount of time and you see that and you develop those mental models of what elite level swimming mm -hmm. looks like yeah and you learn it from elite level coaches uh you know starting the program at liberty here you know d1 program starting from scratch it was i don't want to say it was easy but as far as a, a confidence level you know i wasn't concerned or or scared there were no hesitations i mean i'd you know, we had coached an NC2A national champion at Penn State and, and Arizona, obviously, the whole team were, you know, elite-level people, yeah. So yeah. so there, there really wasn't any hesitation whatsoever. The, the hesitation was more so, you know, do I want to move? Do I want to live in Virginia? Do I want to be further away from home? Right. You know, all of the personal life stuff. But mm -hmm. as far as coaching goes, you know, once you get that type of, type of education, the rest is yeah. easy. Yeah, I knew for, for me, I knew that I was confident in that what I had experienced thus far in my coaching career would give me a lot of really good tools to to be to confidently step forward into being a college head coach. And the Well, I'm sure your your success at Florida State, you know, would help there. Yeah, for sure. I think that having the, if you the, have the a if you're if you, will. if you want to coach and you have a, a semi high caliber of success in swimming you you're gonna you know. get to have some conversations right. you know and obviously i knowing what it takes to to go from i i know my journey and i knew i know how i got from not swimming breaststrokes in the in the widths of a three a four lane 27 and a half yard pool to swimming at olympic trials and getting to that level and seeing you know a, a top being a part of a top 25 program in division one there's obviously a model and a, a level and a way of doing things and so you've got to be ready to i think the best piece of advice that i could say is be ready to say yes to the profound opportunities that come your way i like and that. full send full steam ahead look forward not back and uh, one foot in front of the other and you'll you'll make it happen for yourself i like that i like it and uh, yeah, I, I would agree 100. percent And and you, you mentioned your pedigree and and you know swimming and ACC and obviously you were an elite level athlete. Uh, you know that that counts. I mean that does matter. It, yeah. it really does because you see things at the elite level. You develop those mental models, which I think are extremely important. If you've never seen a 51 breaststroke, which you know was fast back then, now it's 49. Right. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> well. The, but, you know, if you've never seen it, back to that, yeah. if you never see it, you don't know what it looks like. You don't know how to teach it. You don't, I mean, it, it, it helps to see it, experience it, know it, do it yourself. Yeah. yeah. And when you are, and that's why I was saying, get to know more people, get to know more coaches, put yourself in, in a position to, to learn from the absolute best. Get as close to the sun as you can and, right. and swimming or whatever you you like to do and and try to learn from the absolute best and that that helps you develop those those elite yeah. those elite level models yeah to and that's that's really everything i mean you look at you know we're, yeah. we're talking swimming but you know maybe you're not a swimming person listening to this podcast i mean it's it's every it's every genre right it's every sport mm -hmm. it's every industry the best people oftentimes also have the best mentors Yes, and you know mm. either by by dumb luck or by hard work. Yeah, you know they stumble upon people that can help them out. Yeah, and I 
that's something too. Like if if you can get a mentor or get a coach, I, I'm a firm believer that a coach needs a coach. I have I have a professional coach or a development coach or a mentor or whatever whatever you want to call it. I just call her friend and longtime family friend friend of ours and um, very involved in the swimming community and um, has done a lot of really great things for a lot of really high caliber people and um, she's been somebody that has helped me tremendously through my path as a coach and one of for me tactically in terms of something that you can you can acquire one of the most valuable resources and tools that I've had as a young professional in general is having having a coach and, and having a mentor and you know, she's somebody that's outside of the coaching world, but was an incredibly gifted and talented athlete, a swimmer when, when she swam. And so having somebody that you can really question things with and, and walk through life in a, from a different, a different perspective that's maybe not your, your family, somebody that's a little bit more neutral and non-partial to, to you. A little bit more disconnected from... Yes, yeah. like disconnected from my biases or, right. or your biases, it, right. it, it's really, really helpful. And if you can afford one, go get one. It's also not very hard. I remember a couple of years ago when I met Michael Brooks, I said, what's one piece of advice that you have? And he said, get a mentor. And, and that always really stuck with me. And, you know, the mentor doesn't have to be a coaching mentor. It can be a, a mentor from one of your, one of your friends. Um, a family member, your, your mom, your dad, and if you if you can put yourself in a position where you 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 hire a a, a professional coach. All right, let's. Uh, anything else about starting the program at Roanoke that you want to add? Anything else about you know, personal or career development? If not, uh, we're going to get to the good stuff here. I know all coaches out there listening would love to get to the training. Uh, yeah. Anything else to add as far as starting Roanoke from from zero? I think we I think we hit it. Okay, all right. Well, let's shift gears now. Let's talk about the training, and that's kind of the the good stuff, the meat and potatoes, so to speak, that that people like to hear about. And we've touched on a little bit of it. We've touched on the facility and the power towers and so forth. Mm-hmm. You've had again massive success, ODAC by storm. I mean, you really have just you know two years. You've gone from no program to you know let's say the second second best overall program in the conference making a little bit of noise yeah a lot of noise yeah i mean let's you know don't don't yeah. be, you don't have to be humble no, or, we're, we're proud of yeah we're definitely proud of what what our people have done what our what our what our athletes do right you know, we're as a coach i'm i'm painting the the picture you know i'm putting the right. map in but they they've got to dive in every day every morning every afternoon and and put life and breathe life into the the workouts that that we're writing. Absolutely. Uh, so yes, massive success. NC2As in, in year number two, we talked mm-hmm. about you know some of the accolades and, and having a backstroke or make the meet, multiple ODAC champs. Okay, so training wise, how? How do you do it? What are some training philosophies? Maybe yeah. share your schedule, uh, yeah. different groups. Just give give coaches listening out there, give our listeners a sense of, uh, without maybe divulging too many secrets, yeah. but just you know how does how does Roanoke get it there, done? There are no secrets, Jake. Um, so yeah, top down, very simply, I, I really like simultaneous organization. So what that means for me is if, if we're, if the key components of our program are hundred pace, 200 pace, speed, power, 
and maybe aerobic. We're working those the whole year from day one to when we go to conference. I am a firm believer that working the different characteristics that you need for elite performance helps each of those other characteristics get better simultaneously. Um, and then from there, our, our groups, we have three groups, white group, maroon group, black group. The white group would be our distance group. Our maroon group would be our stroke group and our IMers, and then our black group are our sprinters. And like we said before, we, we train out of two facilities. We train out of an eight-lane, 25-yard pool at the Salem YMCA, which is on our Elizabeth campus at Roanoke College. And then we train out of a four-lane, sorry, three-lane, 20-yard pool. Three-lane tank, yeah. Yeah, three-lane tank. And so, um, in short, what the, the, the schedule looks like is a double on Monday, double on Tuesday. We're, we're off on Wednesday. And that's something that's new for us this year that we're experimenting with. And a double on Thursday, double on Friday, and then a single practice on Saturday. So we're a nine-session-a-week-a-week a week program, which for, for some, you know, might argue that that's a lot for Division Three. But a, a big heartbeat of who we are is providing uh, an elite-level experience, the best that we, that we can for the, the young men and women that choose to come be a part of our program. As far as groups go, uh, tell us a little bit about training groups. So obviously, you know, you've got a sprint group, I'm sure. You've got stroke, distance, and you've had success. So you've had, you know, so for example, last year you trained the 50 free champion. Mm -hmm. You also trained the 4 a.m. champion. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're doing some things there that you're able to train, you know, even with, let's say, well, we, we won't say limited facilities, but, you know, perhaps not ideal for, you know, 50 free, obviously, a, a little sprint tank is nice. But 4 a.m., yeah. you know, might take a little bit more. So how do you, how do you train your groups? How do you yeah. split those up? So we, we have... You have success so, with your different... You know. Yeah, so the way that we break things up from a, a coaching standpoint is I oversee the stroke group and the sprint group. And then our, my assistant, Brandon, runs the, the distance group. And... I, I give him full reign. He he does his thing. He's the he's the the distance dynasty master. I let him do his do his job and and and, and build the the distance reputation that that he's building for himself and for our program. And so, for example, for the IM Brandon trains our 400 IMers and our 500 freestylers on Tuesday morning, while I have our our sprinters at at the tank. So we have a group of people that are at the Y, and then we have a small group of people that are at the tank on Tuesday morning. And and that's honestly how we survive. We do a lot of um, it's nice alternating to, practice times. Yeah. And it's nice to be able to utilize both pools yes. at the same time. And if we didn't, yeah. we wouldn't be we wouldn't be able to do what we do without being able to do that and being willing to do that. And so you've got eleven lanes. That's we have eleven lanes. You've got eleven yeah. lanes. We yeah. keep I keep my cup full. Right. Always. So right. it's what we have, and I, we have two facilities to train out of. Right. Not a whole lot of people have two facilities to train out of, and that's how I see it because that's what it is. It would be nice if it was a 10-lane yard pool or a diving well instead of the tank, right? But what we have is what we have, and we've got to do what we want to do with what we got. And so 
And then, for example, on Thursday morning, we have our 200 pace focus day. And then, so I'm, I have those, those groups, like all of our two IMers, all of our 200s of stroke and our, our 200s freestyle at the YMCA on Thursday morning. And then Brandon has a, his own group, mostly sprinters at the tank on Thursday. And that's how we, that's how I focus on things. So on Monday, let's say we're working on 100 pace. So we're focusing on our events that are our 100s. On Tuesday, we're focusing on 500 free or 400 IM. Wednesday, we're off. Thursday, we're focusing on the 200 aspects of our of our of our sport. Friday this year will be a higher aerobic day. Um, some might call it um, high aerobic or or threshold, just a, a higher level of aerobic intensity and a little bit more volume and then on Saturday we do some type of racing if you follow us on social media you know that suit up Saturday is a is a staple in Roanoke College swimming anytime that we are on campus for the weekend where we where we don't have a a meet we're suiting up during practice and we're racing so at a glance that's kind of kind of how we do it and the way that we 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 treat things do you, uh, question there about suiting up on Saturdays, do you throw fins on or just suit up and, yep. and let them race? No, we'll okay. put fins on, paddles on. We'll do like some power work with parachutes. Okay. With, with suits on? Yeah. Wow. Why not? How do you, uh, how do you coach the mental game then? Uh, so oftentimes when people suit up, it changes their, their mental state, yeah. right? And so... How do you how do you handle that from a mental standpoint? I'm just thinking out loud. Yeah, uh, you've got somebody that suits up and they go a time at practice mm-hmm. that they don't go at a meet. How do you handle yeah. that mentally? Because that can so you know, people say, oh, "I went faster in practice." You know, how yeah. do you? So, I'm okay with a really quick story. So, Riley Bird, for example, our ODAC champion and um, NCAA cool, qualifier yeah. in the the hundred backstroke. And during Christmas training, she suited up and, and just ripped open 100 backstroke. It was 58.4. Sorry, 57.4. The fastest that she was in season was a 101.0. And a lot of people would maybe be naturally and, and would, would be like, well, that's not good, right? Well, let's explain why that happens. We... We're suiting up on a Saturday, and we're taking basically most of the practice to to set ourselves up for that day for one one swim. That's it, maybe two. Our 50 freestylers did the 50 free and something else that day. Most of our strokers just did either the 100 or 200. And we, we take an hour plus to warm up, put our suits on. We blast music. We get everyone fired up, and she, she rips it. Well, she knows that she's somebody that really benefits from having a suit on. And she also understands that our training methodology and progression is, is really high on the quality level and high on the intensity level. And she knows that it's okay to be a little bit slower than she would want to be in practice. And she knows that the suit, when she puts on the suit, it's going to make her fast and it's going to make her pop. So for me, I want that to be seen, meaning the suit, to be something that doesn't surprise us 
but something that we can count on when we get to the meet, something that we can count on as a, as a tool for our success. And uh, I think it's okay to rely on knowing that that suit is going to make you feel tighter, feel higher, your hips are going to feel higher, your legs are going to feel lighter. So why I do that is one to, I want to get them in the habit of being able to put on a suit and step up and race anytime. If we can do it at 6 a.m. on Saturday morning, we're definitely going to be able to do it on Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening at conference. Right. Okay, good. I like that. What about uh, what about weights? What are your thoughts there? Yeah. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of different uh, theories and yeah. beliefs about weights out there. Uh, <laughs> Good heavens, uh, I am not shy about uh, you know my my beliefs on weights and, and I throw it out there and I social media and everything I make it public and as public as can be. I am appalled that there are still people out there that believe that swimmers should not lift weights. Yeah, and that's uh, you know that's a pocket that will not die for some reason, <laughs> and it defies physics it defies physiology it defies mm-hmm. logic it defies reason it defies if you want to go back to it you know evolutionary biology it defies creation it defies all facets of human life yeah uh anyhow uh we won't we won't get into that but uh, we we love the weight room okay we love we good. love land okay at Rono college swimming good. so we find we, land we lift twice a week and this year we'll be doing dry land slash conditioning, whatever you want to call it. I typically call it conditioning, no matter what we're doing on land when we're outside of the weight room. So we're looking, we're, we're on land five, five times a week. So that, what we can do on land and developing our athleticism and our strength and our power and our speed and our explosion on land is obviously incredibly important because we're spending at least five plus hours a week on it, right? Sure. And so lifting... We, we lift twice, and we're looking for general strength, speed, and explosion in the weight room. We, we don't have a whole lot of specialization between strokes and events, and, and, and our, our weight sessions look incredibly simple. They might come in one day, and they're going to have you know, a, a pretty dynamic medicine ball warm-up with some plyometrics and maybe some, some banded shoulder movements, and then we're going to you know, do some some hang power cleans and then we're going to do a leg. We're going to do a lower body press. So some type of hit, some type of squat or lunge. And then we're going to, we're going to do an upper body press. We're going to do an upper body pull. We're going to do some hinging. We're going to probably do some more explosive, like some more explosive work. And so we're looking to develop the whole kinetic chain and I think like the safest and most direct fashion that, we can. In, in the past, we've had a couple different groups. So we've had a, a lifting program for our sprint group, a lifting program from our, for our stroke group, and a lifting program for our distance group. And we're going to combine that into two. So majority of our athletes will be on the same, same track. So our sprinters and our, our strokers will be on the same the same track and, and then maybe even some of our distance athletes that are more on the 500 down side of things would be in that, that track. And then just a, some subtle variations for our, our distance athletes. Okay. Yeah. I like that you're, you're talking movements and not muscles. I noticed that. Yes. You know, talking to your pull and your push and yeah. hip hinge and so forth. 
do you have any do you have any favorite lifts? Do you have any core lifts that you you want to see mm -hmm. that you you've identified as that's a core staple yeah. of our program? I wouldn't any? say like we don't have a whole lot of movements. Like you would, I definitely value overhead pulling. Okay. For sure, or pulling in any fashion. So pulling and, and swimming is really important. Any plane. Okay. Um, when we push, I like to push in different planes. So we're pushing overhead we're pushing you know out in front and maybe like a 45 degree angle we're pushing straight out in front of us i do not like bench press i i think that pressing is incredibly valuable but i like to either i like to press either on a, a plyo ball or with with dumbbells so the shoulder blades can allow themselves to move the way that they move if you could see my hands i'm moving them around in circles our shoulder blades aren't aren't fixed and when we're we grab a bar and we put our backs on a bench we, we lock these shoulders into position and so i like the the shoulder to be in positions where it can stabilize and be strong in different positions because well that's swimming right the shoulders take a lot of wear and tear and we yeah um well and, and when you're looking at, at uh, you know every stroke except backstroke you're you're front side dominant you yeah. know and you're, you're uh, there's not much as far as uh, the posterior chain that really gets worked and I, I yeah benching you know you, you look at a lot of biceps tendonitis and that's because we're we're pressing we're benching and the shoulders are, are rounded and we're pulling everything in mm -hmm. and we, we do that motion in freestyle how many thousands of times per practice yeah you know and, and so anterior is overworked yeah, you know, it's, for sure. It's big time. Yeah, uh, so we so, so we like to do a lot of posterior. And yeah, hence your pulling. Yep. You know, and, so, and so I like to pull a lot. We during two of our dry land sessions a week, we take ten or fifteen minutes, and we're doing a shoulder prehab protocol, and we're we're spending time on T spine mobility, thoracic yeah. mobility. So we I'm I spend a lot of personally spend a lot of time trying to open. Yeah. Open our, open our athletes up. Posterior, everything. Yeah. And um, so just in, in making a, a strong machine from their fingertips all the way down to their toes. And I, I would go as far as to say that it's much more important now for this generation than even in previous and maybe yes. even our generation. Absolutely. Because of, of technology, because of yeah. phones, everything is hunched. Everything yeah. is hunched over. Every, I mean, you yeah. look at the posture of your average high school swimmer. Yeah. The shoulders are rounded. The neck yep. is bent because they're in that position all the time looking at their phones, and we swim in that position. So, yeah, we don't bench. Yeah, we don't so bench we're – I don't, I don't, I'm not sure if you've read this, but a, a study in Australia that I read a, a couple months ago starting to discover bone spurs. Oh, and, gosh. And the yeah. necks of, you know, 12 to – like 10 to 12-year-olds from, from being constantly being hunched. Hunched over, yeah. And so I, I'd have to see it, but I, I wouldn't say that I don't believe it. Yeah. I mean, I could, I could see and how. So, and, and in swimming, obviously, like sh swimmers are famous for having bad posture. Well, right. So, and that's, and, and yes, and, and maybe by no fault of their own, because yeah. again, that's the stroke. Every stroke except yep. backstroke, you know, you're loading, you know, anterior and you're just, you're repeating that motion thousands yep. of times per practice yep. and you're really not doing much. On the posterior exterior side to, to open up so yeah. a lot of opening up i really i really like power cleans i i love plyometrics and bounding and jumping 
Um, I think it's really important to open up, open up our hips and move side to side. And whether it's like a Cossack squat or a side lunge or even just uh, like ski jumps or speed skater jumps back and forth. Um, I love farmer carries. And yeah, so farmer's walks, yeah. we'll do some, we'll do farmer's carries. We'll do, um, we'll do like kettlebell overhead carries and just we uh, I'm I'm really influenced by Vern Gambetta I really like what he puts out in terms of the strength and conditioning world and um, so in like in the weight room his big thing is like generalists rule the world and so when we're on land I'm trying to create we're trying to create this athletic machine that can handle volume and we can be strong and we can be quick and we can um, you know build the the physique the physique sort of to, to say to to be able to handle the demands of what what we're trying to do for our sport so that's how i see what we do outside of the water our our dry land is conditioning biased so a lot of jump rope we're going to be rolling out some boxing mitts this year that i'm really excited about and a lot of a lot of explosive medicine ball work i i am very much not a fan of running for my my athletes and our swimmers and I have no problems with putting them on a rower or putting them on some type of erg just like to keep it a little bit less impact you know swimmers historically we're not we don't have a whole lot of volume on our like our hips knees and ankles in terms of that pounding so um, outside of doing our annual lane rope run that's the only running that we do the the whole year that's prescribed and um, Saturdays this year when we do our final dryland session of the week, we're going to come in and we're, we'll swim, do some dryland, hit some core, do some Pilates, and then end the week with a restorative type of yoga flow and, and, and mindfulness. Awesome. I like it. And I, I would agree as far as the, the generalist philosophy. And mm-hmm. I, I think the, the science, I think the literature would prove as much. And yeah. forget science, forget research, because that can be flawed and it can be biased. What, what does logic and reason say? So let's try a thought experiment here. So you don't know this question is coming, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, why are men faster than women? Why do men swim faster than women? How like, deep do you want to go into this? Uh, just What's the first thing that comes to mind? So um, our anatomy. Yeah. We have um, smaller hips. Bigger shoulders, just, bigger bigger muscle attachments in the upper body. Well, and, and what else? Just basic. Or bigger. Bigger and stronger. Yeah. Right? Yeah, strength and power. Bigger and stronger. Yeah. That's it. The only reason why men swim faster than women is because they're bigger and stronger. Yeah. Now, we can get into hormones and, and specific physiology, you know, between male and female, but keeping it simple, not to, I don't want to upset the the exercise physiologists in the, yes. in the room. Uh, but just in the very general sense, men are bigger and stronger than women. That's why they're faster. And, and we know that it's certainly not because the guys work harder. Right? right. I mean, we know that the men don't work harder than the women. The women work harder, but it's not as big. And by big, you know, you're looking at limb length and you're looking at levers and you're looking mm-hmm. at just, you know, size in general or whatever yeah. it is and stronger. Okay. So what that says then is that men are faster than women because they're bigger and stronger not because they're stronger in a specific lift that may or may not be specific to swimming. Right. But in the very general sense, total body, 
Yeah. They are bigger and stronger. Yeah. And so they're going to take that base of total body strength, power, starting from a higher ceiling, a, a higher platform, a bigger engine, whatever you mm -hmm. want to call it, whatever, however you want to say it. They're going to start from that bigger engine, bigger platform, higher ceiling, and then they're going to swim. Yep. And then they'll develop that specific strength and power in the water for specific neuromuscular recruitment patterns. Right. Yep. And so I'm a generalist in the weight room as well, and, and so here at Liberty we're, we're all about increasing general strength and power. Uh, we've got a few you know, favorite core lifts that we do, but I, I would agree 100%. It's, it's not so much because we're doing anything specific to swimming. Right. You know, that's where we use the power towers and the weight belts mm -hmm. and the power racks, and yep. that's where we get specific. But in the weight room here, and, and it sounds like, you know same as Rona, let's just get stronger. Yeah. What are the What sense. are your three? What are your big three? Ah, uh, yeah. Good. Good question. I actually have a I have a blog article coming out uh, about those, uh, but I won't ruin the surprise. But uh, you mentioned two of them. But right. I'll, uh, I'll I'll save that for later. But yeah, I'm going to release a blog article here. I soon. think I I think I have a pretty good idea of what the third one is, and we'll just talk about it. Yeah. When the record button's off. Yeah, we're going to I'm going to release a, an article here about my my three favorite lifts uh, for swimming. Uh, which could be a little controversial, but but we'll see. Um, okay, let's get back. So anything else about training? Anything else you want to you want to discuss about training? Yeah, so if if you were to pop into our program, you would and I can't believe we haven't talked about this yet. Resistance. I love resistance. Well, we talk. We talk some powers. Yeah, we got. We did. We got to talk more. Powers, because towers. We talk towers, weight belts. Yeah, but it, talk I think it's a really big, really big portions of both of our programs. So, yeah. disclaimer: Jake and I have known each other for a long time, and Jake is one of their earliest coaching influences for me. That wasn't how I grew up. So my my club swimming background with Doug was not as much volume as he did in the '90s, but Pretty high, pretty high volume. I was a stroker at Florida State, so the volume was a little bit less and the quality a little bit higher, and we, we did some resistance work. And so I'm hearing things like Jake Schellenberger, and if you don't have his book, get his book. And it's a really great look of what power can, what power and applying power systematically and intelligently can do for a program and do for an athlete and like we talked about the ask for me the the really the deciding factor for me coming to Roanoke is we needed power towers that was if I put some, all my eggs in one basket it was the the power towers that we have and so we're on our program so our stroke group and our sprinters we're we're using some type of resistance every single practice so i'm not saying that we're on the towers or the racks every practice but socks parachutes bands weight um, belts, weight belts. Wow. and you know our our sprinters and our strokers they're most likely they're going to be they're going to have weight belts on like probably three times a week we're going to do we're going to do power like pure real power at least twice a week we're going to swim with parachutes a lot we're going to swim with bands a lot we're going to do a lot of assistive work where we are pulling our athletes on bands the whole season. They'll do it the very first week and they'll do it all the way up to conference. And let me, let me interject. So 
uh, playing devil's advocate, mm-hmm. there's a lot of coaches out there that would say, well, speed-assisted training, bands and so forth, uh, cords, you know, pulling people, towing, however you want to describe it, uh, they would say, well, you know, there's, there's no way to really train the neuromuscular system. Uh, that's more of a sprint, uh, you know, taper toy. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, you know, it's fun to swim fast or, you know, during a taper, but but there's really no benefit to doing that throughout the year because you can't periodize it and you can't really mm-hmm. train it. What would you say to those coaches? So the, the first thing that I would say is, like, science would tell us differently. Post-activation potentiation, we can, we can put the the neuromuscular system and just our, our physiology in a position to elicit uh, in swimming a higher rate, right? So, and you talk about this in your book, you know, you do some efforts with some type of resistance and then you do some efforts without it and just the results that you get and how that primes the body. So something you would see a lot for us is even in preparing for, for pace work, well, we're, we're going to put on socks and we're going to put on parachutes and we're going to, we're going to swim fast with those or, um, you know, swim really, really correct with those. And we're actually, we're adding in sponges this year to, to the resi- our resistance repertoire, okay. if you will. And, and it's been an, an incredible tool for us. And it's an incredible tool for short course swimming because we have to be able to go from zero to a hundred, like, especially in the sprints very, very quickly. And the quicker you can get your athlete into feeling fast and feeling good. The late Sam Frias would say, let your sprinters swim fast and yeah. let them feel good. Yeah, he would That's say a, swim fast all year, not just yeah. during a taper. And letting them be in a position where they can acquire their ideal race pace tempo a little bit easier, where they can feel their hips a little bit higher, and where they can just feel some real overspeed and neurologically and, and physiologically allowing the body to move in that pattern without necessarily needing all the, the power and explosion that's going to happen in February is only going to set your athlete up for success. And going back to suit up Saturday, like we've pulled people in suits before. Why not? Yeah. And super duper high speed. Yeah. And so, so what you're saying then is that you believe that, that you can train for a neuromuscular adaptation to a higher stroke rate and you can start in September yeah. and you can periodize that and do it the whole way until February. Yeah. Well, I want I want our speed I want our speed to to be something that we rehearse. Right. And to be something that we we know is there because we made it, right? Because we we forged it. You get to a meet, you cannot conjure up what you do not have. And I think growing up, it's that kind of the myth and the, the mysticism of taper. It's like you you work incredibly hard as a club swimmer all year round, and you sacrifice performance in season to have this magical experience where your body starts feeling incredible and you all of a sudden can swim fast. Well, experience tells us and, and success tells us that, well, you can – you can systematically develop these things with each other the whole year. As you go. As you go. Yeah. yeah. I would agree and, and we we, you know, follow a very similar philosophy here and, and many if you look at the programs that are swimming fast in the two hundred and under, 
know, a lot of them are following a very similar protocol where they're mm -hmm. getting away from the traditional periodization of aerobic from September until the end of October and then yeah. we start getting into our race pace in November, December and then speed work finally yeah. at the end of the year in January, February. Yeah. Uh, that model has seemed to to you know fall fall by the wayside a little bit and and thank you know thank goodness uh, good oh, evidence. Yeah. Uh, I think that many would argue that a lot of the where at least periodization in swimming comes from is a little antiquated. We can we can do we can do better. We can do better and it can be hacked and and speed I would agree speed is something that can be trained. You can train the neuromuscular system. Mm -hmm. uh, you know and and you can see that in the weight room. I mean a lot of the strength gains for example say somebody's never lifted before we know this. I mean the literature is pretty clear and even then anecdotally and just logic would say the same if you don't like the research. Uh, say someone's never lifted before and they start a lifting program, the initial strength gains are largely all neuromuscular. Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, it's just learning to recruit more fibers in that general specific lift, that movement pattern. Yeah. And there's no reason why that same theory wouldn't apply to cords and assisted swimming starting in September right. and going through, you know, you're, you're teaching somebody to apply force rate of force yeah. development, neuromuscular recruitment patterns, you know, the speed at which they're recruited and so forth. And you're doing that in September, you're doing it all year. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think there are improvements there to the neuromuscular system. And, and we see it in the strength training research. I don't see why there'd be any difference in swimming. Yeah. And you do have to, you talk about this, and we've talked about this a lot, is that what we're talking about right now is, is really taxing on the athlete. And, and really taxing on the central nervous system. And so sometimes, and like we were talking about earlier, you know, our, our 55 backstroker for on our female side, Riley, the best that she was at in season was 101. Granted, we we didn't suit up in a meet. We didn't rest for a, a midseason. Those were all dual meets and a, and a practice suit. But um, we're, we're playing the long game with this and we're valuing the long game over this. And, and I'm okay with not being as sharp as maybe we want to be in, in a meet and not having a time that would say, Ooh, man, they're doing, they're doing really, really well. Like we, sure. we drop a tremendous amount of time from our in-season swims to our conference meet. Yeah. If you go and look at where we were, where we were seated going into ODAX this year, our men were, we're, we're seated to to be third behind Randolph Macon by over 150 points, and our, our women should have been 310 points in third, yeah. and our our men were second and by almost 100 over Randolph Macon, and then our women were about 100 and I think 150 points behind Randolph Macon for for third, and that's really big. And but I but I understand why it is that way. Well, yeah, seed times, no suits. Yeah, you know, a lot of fatigue. No suits. The year. No midseason. Yeah. Um, a lot of times. You a know, different team. Completely yeah. different team. And a lot of times in season, we have, we have, athletes that, are going to get up on at on Saturday morning at six a.m. and they will go a best time, in season in a suit, or, or close to it. They'll have their best, their best in season times will be in practice and 
and valuing the end result, what we're doing in February and what we're going to, what we're trying to do at NCAAs and knowing that along the way, we're going to be a little bit tired. And, you know, we strategically pick and choose like when we're going to have a little bit lighter load. And every year, like we, we pick a meet that a dual meet that we're going to, we're going to move our Friday lift to, to Thursday and we'll, we're going to, we're going to swim easy. Swim fast. Yeah. yeah. And we're going to, we're going to get ready to, to roll. You know, we're going to um, let them shave if they want to shave, but we're, we, we won't suit up. We're just going to go and we just want to feel good and swim fast and prepare for it. And um, it. So you said shave. Yeah. If they want. We're, we're, so two rules here, right? So <laughs> no editing. Yeah. No, no time limits. Yep. So you're throwing that out there. You're going to shave for a dual meet. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> I, so what uh, I'm not, what I'm not above okay. is, but I think that's like, that's also, uh, it's, now, you're on the record now, so you got to yeah. unpack that. So, so I, you're going to pick a meet and if kids yeah. want to shave, they yeah. can shave. So, okay. If we're going to take, if we're going to take any amount of time in our 19 week season to allow our athletes to, to feel good. And we didn't have anyone we didn't have anyone do it normally that last would be a, year. Normally that'd be a mid-season. Be like a mid-season, but we don't we don't have a mid-season. Okay. So we thus so you'd far pick a dual meet, and that would be your mid-season. Like a mid-season type right. mid-season type mentality. At the okay. most, on the record, we we go. We'll we'll move our lift, and we'll go easy on Thursday, and we'll go easy on Friday. It's just kind of like a drop. We'll we'll sleep in. We we'll do like some a little bit of power with parachutes or bands. We'll do a little bit of assistive work. Um, and then we get ready for Saturday and we, we roll on, but typically we're going, we, we go hard all the way through the week and we go hard that morning because we train, you know, we train five thirty to seven thirty on Saturday morning. So nine times out of 10, we don't need to be on the bus until nine o'clock. So right. we, we get up and we train and then we go. And so if, if one of our athletes wants to like shave and feel good, great. And a win's a win, right? I mean, if we, if it, if that, if putting those, our athletes in that position help us, help us win a big meet or help us perform well, it's fine. I want them to do what they feel like they need to do to be successful. And even in a, in, even in a situation like that, I'm okay with if a swimmer comes up to me and they say, hey, I'd really like to suit up for the 500 at this meet. I'm going to let them do it. Wow. Right. And okay. like the meets for me are when we can, we can test the waters and meets are something that we really need to be excited and engaged about and something that we really need to value. So if someone wants to, not for any dual meet, but we're, we have a meet this year that we've picked that we're, we're going to really prepare for. And and I don't have any problem saying that. I think it's fine. I like it when teams do that. And I like showing up to a meet and feeling good about where our athletes are at and the the potential that we have for success. And and if in, within that meet, if someone wants to shave down or if someone wants to suit up, go for it. Yeah. More more power to you. Let's wow. make it good. You know, make it make it impressive. Yeah. That's um okay. Yeah, that's certainly gonna raise some some eyebrows out there. And, uh, and at the end of the day, like, you know, certainly there's there's no arguing. Yeah, at, at the end of the day, there's no arguing with with your results. I mean, obviously you've you've yeah. gotten the results in just two years. Mm-hmm. 
and you know, I think people, if they don't know who Roanoke is, they know now. If they didn't right. know, they, they know now. And, and I think, you know, certainly in the ODAC and on the national level, I mean, you're yeah. going to make some noise. Yeah. You, know, and you have already. And I would definitely, you know, if we, if we were resting a week for a dual meet and suiting the whole program up, maybe maybe I could understand like maybe the just the the attitude towards that and it's obviously if a if a if a division one team suits up for a dual meet and wins usually they get a little bit of grief about it so oh this team was suited up at their dual meet against this really good team and that's why the score was close and you know I, I just want our athletes to feel good and and I know if if we can step up at a dual meet where we take a day or two and feel good and we talk about it and we prepare for it. If we can do it on that day, I know that we can do it in February. And the only thing that I'm trying to do is put, put our people in the best position to be successful when it matters most. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's uh, that's certainly thrown it out there. Uh, <laughs> but you know, you know, being in the ACC, you know, D one, I, uh, and, and I'll admit it's a, it's a fear thing with me. I'm afraid to suit up in season in dual meets. Um, I just don't know that people would want to swim us. You know, it'd be right. hard for us to get meets if yeah. we're if we're you know. And we would we would never suit up the whole team. But even if people wanted to suit up individually, we, we'd probably tell them no. We, yeah. we probably would. You know, I mean, yeah. we, we'd say, you know, save that for mid season mm-hmm. invite or save it for conference. You know, we don't we don't suit up for dual meets in season. Yeah. Uh, now, I know some programs do. And maybe it's a situation where, you know, it's, uh, you know, Florida, Florida State or Stanford Cal or, yeah. you know, whoever it is. And it's, where a, it it's absolutely, a predetermined, it happens agreed in upon. Those, it happens in those situations. Right, right. So, and that's why I use them, right. So it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a predetermined, agreed upon situation where both yeah. coaches go into it knowing that there's going to be some people swimming real fast. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I would, uh, I wouldn't feel comfortable going to a dual meet and surprising. And now somebody. everyone can know. <laughs> yeah, now. now everyone knows what I what I feel about it. And also yeah. too, you know, we we're talking, and and maybe it would be different if this was if we were, if we were two Division One coaches having the conversation. Division Three, we have nineteen weeks. I want to give our athletes an opportunity to feel good in season. I want them to swim fast, but I don't want to sacrifice anything that we're doing in in the long run. And I really don't think that a 19-week season with the, the incredible amount of breaks that Division Three has really deserves uh, any type of rest for midseason. And, but if we can take it back for a few days, like in November, for example, and then swim fast, we get to super compensate a little bit. We get to recover a little bit. We get to be rewarded in some of our effort. And... And maybe we can do something special while we, we have the opportunity to race. And this is competitive college athletics. And so it's one of the things in swimming. Like if a team came to us and suited up, well, more power to them. Good. They're, they're coming to – they want to get a win because, sorry, it's important. We There's a lot of people that, that might argue that dual meets aren't important, but I really value how our team performs. And – and I know, like we talked about before, that the times might not always be what we want them, 
but there's a lot of things that we can see consistently throughout the year, their energy, their enthusiasm, the way that they attack races, the way that they, they support each other, the, you know, the, the, the energy on the sideline and, and that's like a whole other rabbit hole, but, um, that's why I do that. That's why we do that. Yeah. That's why we suit up a lot in season. And that's why we we will absolutely find a meet in the year and get a little bit of rest for it. And I also have no problem saying, are you gonna, yeah. Are you going to tell, tell the other coach? Are you going to email them yeah, beforehand for sure. and say, hey, Definitely. You know, we're going to suit up? Yeah, we're going to. And it's not going to be a. We don't know who that is yet. No, nope. not yet, but they'll definitely know when we decide. But, um, and it won't be the whole team. It, Certain people. It'll just be if, if somebody want if somebody want to. wants to, and yeah. a lot of people don't. We have athletes that absolutely hate suiting up, and so there's times during the year where we want them, like I want to, we want to see how our milers do a mile in November suited up we don't have a lot of opportunities to do that so we we want to put them in a suit and so we let that does the uh let me interject there one second does the odac uh when you see the mile is it mile time only or can you see with the thousand can see with the thousand okay yeah our, our conference is you know mile times are seated first yep and then thousands and then thousands yep so and, and the thousands cannot make the final heat obviously you know so yeah the we haven't we haven't been in that situation, but I believe that's how the ODAC works. Yeah. They so see the mile be, times first, and then the thousands. Right, and then the thousands. Right. So so you know our our milers do suit up. Yeah. You know in in season uh, at our at our mid season meet yeah. for that reason we want them to get top eight seed times. Yeah, to get into the the final final heat for the mile. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, okay. Anything else from a from a training standpoint that uh, you know we we kind of went went deep into it there and that's good and, yeah. and you know there's certainly a lot more we could cover I bet as far yeah. as training goes and uh, let me let me add one thing and and you can add to this as well and you you say that you go some type of resistance eight of your nine workouts and there might every, be every workout every workout every workout every workout so all, nine of, out of, all nine. of the workouts that I write so for our strokers and our our sprinters, we are on some type of resistive component. Every day. Every day. Okay, so that's, for our listeners, that's nine water workouts a week that Roanoke College is doing some type of resistance. Now, you might find that absurd. You might find that appalling. You might find that great. You know, there's, there's going to be a lot of different reactions to what we just heard there. Uh let me just say that there's a lot of ways to swim with resistance. Mm-hmm. And one way is to do really heavy power tower buckets yeah. and do six stroke blasts and 12 and a half. Yep. And that's one way. Yep. For the coaches that were appalled that, that a program might go nine water workouts a week with some form of, of power or resistance, uh, there are myriad other ways that yeah. one can add resistance to a practice in bits and pieces or you know the main course mm-hmm. to benefit some aspect of the training and to people who are hesitant i would simply say you know if 
six, seven, eight, nine workouts of power in scare quotes is too much, how often are you pulling? Yeah. Right? Definitely. And how is pulling a whole lot different? It is, but it isn't. Right? Right. So there's a lot of different ways to do power. I write about a lot of it in, in my book. Uh, you've got kicking. You've got pulling. Yeah. Which I consider a form of power. In fact, mm-hmm. when, I, when I was at Arizona, the distance swimmers didn't go a whole lot on the towers, but they did a heck of a lot of pulling, and they did pulling with tractor yeah. tire with tubes. tubes. Yeah, or bands. Yeah. And, and that was a real... Real good amount of resistance. That changes things know, pretty dramatically. That. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. it does. Yeah, and so, you know, just don't uh, don't don't throw it away, mm-hmm. coaches out there. Look at it, examine it, understand that it's not just all heavy blast work. Yeah. With really heavy weight belts or really heavy towers. Yeah. It might be sculling with resistance, light resistance. It might be kicking. It might be yeah. working underwater body dolphin. And there's a myriad of different. Yeah, there's things a, you can a lot do. of ways to to get to the end and. And, you know, so we have power towers, we have power racks, we have parachutes, we have sponges, we have kicking socks, we have bands. And so we and have... And not all of it has to be max. It could be tech right. work. And and there's, we have a lot of, we do a lot of tech work with resistance. It's one of my favorite things to do yeah. is, is have to do technical work with some type of resistance. It would, it, it's still, it's still, you know, activating our our musculature and our central nervous system. So if we, if we're going to do it to swim fast, well, wouldn't it also make sense to do it to swim better and, and more correct? Well, and, and with the tech work too, it also, it, it, uh, they say sunlight is the best disinfectant. Right? Mm-hmm. And when you add resistance to a drill or, or to tech type swimming, we won't say drills specifically, but to tech type swimming, any imbalances or inefficiencies are magnified drastically yeah, against, against resistance. Yeah. And then, obviously, the overcompensation and the correcting has to be magnified as well. Yep. And then you take the resistance off, and lo and behold, and the easiest example would probably be a dropped elbow you know, versus early vertical forearm. Mm-hmm. And one of the best ways to fix that is to drill, and I, I use that in scare quotes, but do some type of tech swimming on a power tower against that resistance and you'll see quite clearly that with resistance you have to get your hand into that yeah. early vertical forearm position or else the tower will pull you backwards you can't you can't swim with a low elbow yeah. on a power tower well, changing we're, and resistance changes the tactile experience it that does. we're in, in the water and if someone believes that you can get stronger on land and it will make you better in the water well we're getting stronger in the water Absolutely. <laughs> as well yeah Good. Okay, let's switch gears again. Uh, we're coming up to uh, our last three questions. Yeah. And these are three questions that I, I ask every guest on the show, uh, which so far has just been you and Brad Dunn, mm-hmm. uh, who in a similar situation is starting the program at Lynchburg you know, from scratch as well. Uh, so it was neat to talk to two different coaches that have both started programs from zero and hear you know, some of the similarities and the differences and thinking back to our history here at Liberty and having done the same thing 
so yeah, it is it is odd and rare to start new programs unless you're in Lynchburg, Virginia, and then four of them have gotten started in the past unless 10 years. Unless you're in Lynchburg or in the ODAC. In the ODAC, right, yeah. It's pretty rare. Uh, okay, so question number one, professional development. Yeah. What do you do? How? How often? Where? When? So forth. We talked a little bit about NC State. We, we yeah. touched on that just briefly. You were in, in Raleigh at NC State mm-hmm. uh, working with their crew this summer. Uh, and and I had a similar experience. We mentioned Arizona, you know, just an amazing experience. I'm guessing yours was similar, yeah. you know, working with the best of the best. So professional development, books, podcasts, mentors, what do you do, how often, when, what are some of your favorite ways to better yourself as a coach, person, professional? Yeah, so I think NC State definitely is on the top of, my list in terms of something that I've done to develop as as a coach and, and as a person and I was at some point in the year I was reflecting on being a little tired and a little busy and I was just kind of thinking and, and looking back on the the past couple of years of coaching just something that I that I could do like what could I do to get to get better you know I, I read and I I have a mentor and I have a coach and I'm trying to hack performance and, and hack productivity and, and all these things. And I was, I was listening to a podcast or, or something on YouTube and, and I, I said it earlier, but this, the, the speaker just said, when you're trying to, to learn something or trying to get better at something, get as close to the sun as you can. Get as close to the sun as you can get. And you'll find out two things. You'll find out if you're good really quick and you'll, you'll, you'll find out if you suck really quick um, and you'll figure out if you can if you can hang so to speak with really high performers in, in your craft and and so I started to daydream a little bit about what it would be like to to volunteer at a program uh, during the spring and the summer and then thinking back to, to your experience and you know everything that you've written about it and everything that we've talked about it I said you know that would be a really cool a really cool experience and so I, um, I I reached out to one person and that was Braden at NC State and I had uh, I've known Braden since he would uh, he was an assistant at Virginia Tech in the ACC and um, have worked a couple camps for him and had really loved working their camp and just loved being with their staff loved being with the people that they brought in for camp and and found it to be an experience where they they like they let you come in and learn everything about their program that that you could ever want and then they pay you to do it it's incredible and so I'd really just had been was drawn to the culture drawn to the staff and and really liked who Braden was as as a coach and as a as a friend and and as a as a father and I was like you know I want to I want to watch that if I can so I called Braden and he said he said yes and that was literally the worst thing that could happen because now Got to figure out where we're going to live. I'm going to go. When I'm going to be there, I've got to. I've got to go talk to my boss, and and not that it was a hard sell. I was like, look, I just want to. I want to go learn, and I want to go learn from the best that I can learn from. We've got this massive off season, and we have all of our commitments, and the the admin work is done, and our, our incoming class is great, and I just want to. I need to make myself better. And well, and you can recruit from anywhere. Anywhere in the world, right? Anywhere you have a cell phone. Anywhere in the world, yeah. Signal you can and so that was, that was massive. And that, that experience 
you know, the, the few months that I was there and you talked about it earlier, like developing elite like models, watching every day, literally every person that my eyes saw were elite. I've got elite coaches. We have elite athletes, you know, watching people like, you know, Chris Reed, who joined Wolfpack Elite during that time. He's an Olympic, he's an Olympic backstroker. He's 53 long course. I don't know if you've ever watched somebody that swims 53 seconds in the 100 backstroke long course, but they're a specimen. They, it's incredible to watch. You're watching Coleman Stewart, who has the fastest 100 fly, 100 back short course combo. Just watching super high levels of performance, like from the short end side of things, even to Hannah Moore and watching her lead up to open water worlds and really her kind of like her, her coming out party of being a, a, a formidable force in, in open water and getting to see everything in between. And, and then watching what those coaches bring and being, being like loved on by them and encouraged by them and being, I was treated like family from the, the very moment I was, I, there, I was there to the, like the, the day that I left, like everybody, every coach, every staff member, every swimmer, like went out of their way to make me feel like I was a part of, like I had been there from the beginning. And so I, I left like super encouraged, super edified and, and without question learning so much. And so I think for me, simply the most direct way that I learned the best is learning from others. And even from instances like this, like the first time that we tried this, I, I left, like my brain was on fire. I was super excited. I, I, like I went home and I was thinking about lifts and power and what we were doing and, and it just got me excited. So get around high quality people because they're going to, they're going to make you better. You know, you're somebody that I really admire and really respect and somebody that I asked a lot of questions like throughout my career. I and remember we had quite a few chats. Yes. Yeah. Many chats. And, and, and I'm really fortunate that people like you and people like Braden and like say yes, you know, and coaches love to do that, you know, they, they do. And it's, it's amazing how the tree grows, right? Yep. Uh, and we talk about coaching trees, and that could be a whole nother podcast, uh, and, and maybe it will be, and maybe a blog article. Uh, and I, d I did actually, I wrote a little a little blog yeah. article about Paul Blair, yep. and how Paul Blair impacted coaches that then impacted coaches that then impacted me. Mm -hmm. And in a roundabout way, one could say that, uh, you know, Paul Blair built this pool that we have here at Liberty yep. in a very, very roundabout way. And I made yep. that connection on the article. Uh, but, but the point I want to make for any young coaches that are out there listening, uh, if you have the opportunity, uh, go. Find a program, find a pool deck, find elite level people, go there, see what they do, uh, be willing to pay the price. And so for me, I was, I was, a, I was an assistant at Penn State and Bill Dorincott, who was then the head coach at Penn State, he's now the director of swimming and diving at Ohio State. He's the Ohio State head coach. He was at Penn State. I was working under him. And he said, Jake, he said, hey, how would you like to spend the summer at Arizona? Oh, whoa. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I was a young sprint coach. 
right? I had been there for one year. It was, it was the summer of 07, and my first year at Penn State was 6-7. And so I had been at Penn State for one year, young sprint coach, and here Bill was asking me if I wanted to go hang out in the desert in Tucson with Frank Bush and Rick DeMont. Heck, yes, you do. Yeah, yeah, right? I mean, Arizona sprinting Tempted was, me with heaven here, guy. Yeah, I mean, Arizona sprinting was at its prime. Yeah. Right? The, the men, all four South African men that were part of that gold medal Athens relay that, yep. that upset everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, Lyndon Ferns, Roland Schumann. Uh, Reich Neithling and uh, Darian Townsend. Yeah, you know they were all there. They're all there training. They're going to try to do it again in '08. You know, I mean that it was a just a magical summer. Right. Uh, and here's Bill, you know Bill's asking me if I want to go, and I was like, I was halfway down the driveway. You know, before you were gone. He, he didn't even finish <laughs> yeah. the sentence. Right. Didn't he didn't even, even get to punctuate what yeah, he was saying yeah. before you were already en route. Yeah, I didn't even have a place to live. I think they were figuring that out as I was driving down there. And uh, I drove a, it's funny, I drove a Sebring convertible back then. So <laughs> I put the top down in State College, PA, and I made a vow to myself, no matter what happened, I was going to keep that darn top down until I made it to Tucson, Arizona. Right. And I did. I remember I was driving through Tennessee. I went into a, into a rainstorm, kept it down, <laughs> didn't put the top up, but uh, made it to Tucson. Anyhow, uh, part of Bill's pitch to Frank Bush was, hey, Frank, I got a young guy here who wants to learn, and this is the lesson for all the young coaches out there. Bill said, uh, he'll do whatever you need him to do. He'll clean the toilets if he has yep. to. He'll clean the toilets if he has to. And darn it, I was willing to do that in order right. to be on deck at Arizona. Yeah. And I was, you know, I was at Penn State. We had some good kids. You know, we had some elite-level talent. You know, the, the women weren't too far removed from winning a Big Ten title, and yeah. the men... You know, we're, we're pretty good. We had an eventual NC2A champion there. So it's not like we had slow people. I mean, we had some pretty good people. Right. But Arizona was obviously at a much different level. Yeah. Uh, and so the selling point to Frank was, hey, he can he can clean the toilets. He'll fill up the power tower buckets. And Frank said, ah, that's it. Because Arizona. That's had, what we need. That's what we need. Arizona had 22 power towers. Right. Wow. So it was my job. I was a mule. It was my job to fill up the power tower buckets every day for Rick and Frank. And, you know, that was my payback for, you know, yeah. being allowed to be on the pool deck. So for the young coaches out there, I would recommend that you find a program, you know, be willing to clean the toilets, fill up the power tower buckets, scrub the pool deck, you know, whatever it is to, to let you on deck mm-hmm. uh, and learn. Learn from great mentors. I'd like to take a minute to pause this episode, brief pause. You'll hear Scott and I mention my book several times. The book is Power and Towers and Swimming the Guide. I published it back in 2016, and it covers all forms of power and resistance training for swimming, with a specific emphasis on power towers and the various ways that one can use a power tower or a power rack uh, to achieve maximum results and best performances. The book is not just about short power or you know blast efforts or what you might consider to be you know pure sprint heavy power. We also cover kicking, we cover drilling, we cover power endurance, which will be of key importance to the mid and, and distance coaches out there. Everyone needs power from the 50 to the 1650 and everywhere in between. Uh, so if you're interested, you want to join the more than 600 coaches uh, that have bought a copy of the book. 
head on over to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or jakeshell.com, J-A-K-E-S-H-E-L-L.com to purchase a copy. And again, that's Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Power and & Towers, and Swimming the Guide. If you order on my website, jakeshell.com, I personally autograph and sign each copy that you buy from jakeshell.com. Thank you, and now we'll get back to the show. I feel that that's one thing that people are unwilling to do nowadays, and, and maybe I'm wrong there, but it seems like back in the day, old school, you found a pool deck, you found a mentor, and you worried about living situation later, you know? Right. Um, and th- that's how it, it sounds like it was that way with you. I mean, you, you called up Braden, you said, hey, I want to go, and we'll figure out the living later. <laughs> talk to yep. you know, talk to your wife, and, and you know, we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out, but let's go. Yeah, you know, and, and, and so, so like, and it goes back to being willing that. to. Well, one, you have to be willing to make the ask, which is pretty scary because there's a possibility you might be told no, but you could be told yes, and you'll get to experience something that will like set you on fire and be something that really, really changes your like your trajectory, your path, and like I know that I'll look back on my time with with NC State as like a, a launching point for me in a lot of different, a lot of different ways. And, and part of it too, is just like, man, iron sharpens iron. So getting next to high quality people and, and high caliber people that, you know, will make you better is, is something that's always worth the ask. And it's something that is always worth that, that leap of faith. Anything else uh, as far as professional development? So obviously NC State was a big part of, mm-hmm. of your, your most Definitely. recent. Uh, what about books, podcasts, you know, anything that you, uh, anything there that really has shaped you or that you refer back to often? Any books that you've gifted, uh, you know, a certain yeah. number of times? So I'm a big reader and typically I'm always reading about something in the, um, the performance field. So something, something that's relating back to swimming. In terms of swimming books, I don't have a whole lot that I, I hold close. I've got both editions of uh, Sam Fries' books. I just call them Sprinting 1 and Sprinting 2. I have your, your Power Tower book, and those are my three swim books. And it's, an honor, it's an honor to be in there. Well... <laughs> And I've I've had many others in the past, and there's a lot of good there's a lot of good rich reads, but those these are the three books so far in in my career that helped me be the most creative and that challenged me the most. Um, and so those are those are three books that I really really like and I reference a lot and I look to a lot just to try to create to 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 uh, add make an avenue for for creativity and, and thought. Um, I, I really like legacy by James Kerr. We've talked about that a little bit, just the rebuilding and rebranding and really the, the complete 180 of the New Zealand all blacks. And so any type of leadership book, really, I'm, I'm always digging into those and I'm always digging into some type of, of sport book. Um, like I said too, I really like Vern Gambetta. So a lot, any of his content I'm, I'm reading. I, I, I've really been diving into a lot of track and field books lately and just a lot of athletic development 
literature and journals in general. I'm just trying to understand everything that I can about the body and maybe like the for our program, like the missing link is found in somewhere in some track literature or something like that. So I'm constantly exploring. So reading really helps me develop um, in terms of books that I love, Old Man in the Sea, Good to Great, uh, Elon Musk by Ashley Vance is, is really a, a, a neat a neat read. Tools of Titans by Tim Ferriss, just to, if you need a really like quick, you need some quick anecdotal. Uh, do this now, try this. Do, do this now, try do this. this. Now, like yeah. Tools of Titans by Tim yeah. Ferriss is incredible. It's like, Good what, man. 500 pages of incredibly rich content every single page. Um, some of which we will not cover on the Some of we show. will not cover. Uh, <laughs> Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. Okay. I have I keep it with me all the time. Are you I a, love it. Are you a Stoic or just no. like the book? Okay. I just really, I just really, I appreciate Stoicism. I think it, it, what it does for me is it, it helps me create space, like internal space to like react to the flux of life. It just kind of keeps things, it speaks my language on how I want to handle life it's not how I want to handle love it's not how I want to handle relationships it's not how I want to handle the the young men and women that I get to work with sure yeah but internally it's the dialogue that 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 I want to have with myself but I I love that book and I love Seneca and there isn't really any stoic literature that I don't like and appreciate I just meditations by Marcus Aurelius is the book that I've read through the most and I have written in the most and it's one of the books that I always have with me. I'm, I'm reading The Culture Code now by Daniel Coyle, which is an awesome, awesome book, just like how to create high caliber and high performing cultures. Legacy by James Kerr is, the, is about the same kind of thing. Um, with the religion major in me, The Power of Myth by Joseph Campbell okay. is a really is a neat read. So what the what the book is is actually the the manuscript of a series that he did for television, just kind of like telling the story of our lives. Um, and the list goes on and on and on. So, so a lot of, a lot of different books. A lot of a lot of different books and yeah. podcast. Who doesn't love Joe Rogan? And the list <laughs> goes on for podcast too. Yeah. Um, Joe, Joe, it's funny you mentioned Tools of Titans by Tim Ferriss, and you mentioned Joe Rogan. And those two, uh, with a little bit of, of Dave Asprey influence, were the, yeah. the genesis for this podcast. I love the format. Uh, you know, maybe someday we'll have video. Maybe it'll be a Joe Rogan. You know, yeah. you were making some hand gestures earlier and said, you know, I can't see my hands, but you know, yeah. maybe, maybe someday. Maybe that'd be you know, in video. version, maybe version like 3.0 of the podcast. And this, this would be a good spot to do it. I it, mean, it you've got be, great light, and little, you could put the camera right there on your. On your desk, a little and studio in here. Yeah. yeah. Um, One thing that uh, I want to ask you, uh, just sort of, a, I just thought of it, and so often we think in the swimming world, we think in terms of professional development. We we think of physiology, mm-hmm. or we think of you know biomechanics, or we think of the specific science of fast swimming. I don't I don't know about you and your your progression as a coach, but. I found myself moving away from the science of, and the physiology of training mm-hmm. to psychology, yeah. to relationships, mm-hmm. to leadership, to you know business books, culture building, team building, business yeah. building, 
organization, organizational leadership. I mean, just it's very rare any 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 you know nowadays any time that I, I crack open a, a textbook on human physiology. Yeah, and it's funny that. And I'm I'm sure maybe other coaches have felt the same. I mean, when when you start out, you want to learn the science, you know, want to learn yeah. the training, and you want to learn this and learn that, and you know, your physiology school and your ASCO level, you know, seventeen or whatever you're yeah. doing, you know, and and uh, again, I don't remember the last time I picked up a physiology textbook. I still have them, you know, I'm yeah. still over there on the shelf. But good to great is, you know, that's where I want to go. That's what I yeah. want to do. Uh, from a physiology standpoint, I, I feel as though you know we, we kind of have a pretty good idea of where we need to right. work, and depending on the individual and what their strengths and weaknesses are. As far as program building, and there's a lot out there that we can learn from the business world. Yeah, you know, building organizations and Fortune 500 companies. And, yeah, and and I I wonder if the culture isn't more important than the physiology. It is, definitely. I mean, I in in starting. And starting Roanoke, and this is probably this is another loud lesson, is that when you know the, the few hours that we spend training a week is far easier than the people side of things. Yeah. Right. And yeah. and I and I and I'm still in the what I want is I want to explore things that that make me ask questions, and that they make me want to share those questions and share my thoughts, and and they make me want to learn. So. In terms of the the basis of what I believe about our physiology and and the ceiling that we have as humans and our human potential, I still want to explore it, but I'm not against bringing in something new. You know, if someone would come to me and say, "Hey, like you know, if threshold work is really valuable for sprinters because I've done this," well, or whatever it whatever it is, yeah, that'd be worth. Or hey, I only do one I only do it, yeah. one day a week of power of pure power. Well, I would consider those things, yeah. right? So I want to be, I want my beliefs to be tested, right? Sure. I want, I want my beliefs to have friction, and I want them to, I want to rub elbows with people and ideas that that make me really articulate what I believe, like this. You know, the conversation that we're having, we, I hope that we put out great content, but we have to really, what we believe is being tested in a sense because we have to be able to articulate it, and, but. Very quickly, I would for me it is ninety percent people and ten percent physiology in yeah. terms of what I'm, what I'm really really diving into and really trying to understand because relating to my relating to my people relating to to my community and my team is much more difficult than me relating to physiology. Right. Right. Yeah. And so any if something that can help me understand what makes them tick and how to motivate them and reward them and challenge them and help them develop into like great incredible people that's what I want to know yeah. and and I don't think it's like a one one size fits all I think it's a continuous exploration in in leadership in psychology in development and you have to stay on it, and you have to be willing to change. That's another thing, too. We have become a different team, and I've become a little bit different of a coach every year. There's And there's probably similarities in a lot of programs, but you're a little different every year. And and that's good. Change, that's good. Change, is, change usually means growth. Yeah. And so we're, we're okay with growing, and we're okay with changing, but I'm trying to keep up with the people that we're bringing in 
and what I can do from a, a relationship standpoint to better relate to the, the, the group of people that I'm privileged to, to lead and to coach. All right, so we talked professional development and, and looking at the professional side. Uh, next question, recovery. How do you recover as a coach? What are some things that you, you do you know, outside of the pool mm -hmm. to refresh? We, we talk with our student athletes and, yeah. and athletes in general about recovery. You know, yeah. We want them to recover outside of the pool and, and outside of the classroom. Uh, I'm a firm believer that coaches need to, to do yeah. the same. Coaches need to recover yeah. as well, and it makes us better. It makes us more creative. Uh, it, it, it does a lot of good things, you know, to, for lack of a better term when we take the time to recover and when mm -hmm. we rest. So what are some ways that you recover? What are some ways that you rest? Yeah, so the two, the two biggest things are time with the people that I love that is uninterrupted by the devices that I own, so unplugging. And it's not insane. It's just plugging up my phone and putting it in the bedroom while we eat dinner yeah. or leaving it in the car if we go out to eat and just having you know really great one-on-one -on -one time let us repeat that unplugging unplug turning off the phone putting it away yeah. keeping it in the car on a date night putting yeah. it in the other room for dinner and so yes in, in a quick example so your phone my ipad my phone your watch my smart watch they're on airplane mode we're, we are disconnected. So really the only thing that we're connected to is this recording device, which isn't distracting us. We're not, there's nothing that's competing for our attention. There's nothing that's buzzing and dinging. And your, your phone and your, our devices are, are designed to distract us, yeah. to grab our attention. Get so your attention when the phone rings. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be insane. You don't have to go on a media fast or a phone fast. Just what I've been doing, and I started doing this a couple months ago, is the unplugging is very new in, in my life. I just started unplugging it during, during dinner with my wife. We were, my wife and I were at the beach with my, my dad and my stepmom, and I was like on my phone. And my wife was like, hey, Put that away i put it away and it's like hey this is really you nice. survived i survived right you're so, still here um wow but i go a little bit beyond that because i really really like it so i want some of those continuous benefits 99 percent of the time my phone's on silent and my phone does not vibrate um so a lot of times i don't i don't hear my phone it's out of sight out of mind my iPad, which I have right here that I do a whole lot of work on, I don't have any notifications on it. None. No push notifications, no badge, no icon. Good for there you. are no, absolutely no notifications. I have a Fitbit, and I don't have any notifications on that. So it doesn't tell me anything other than the time and, you know, really my what my body's doing that day. So um, adding that in really really helps and it, it creates creates space you know um and then reading is really 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 restorative for me and it inspires me and because it's another time where i can disconnect because i'm not i'm not on my phone right. something's not buzzing at me and um exercise is really important i love to i love to move and i love to uh like breathe hard and sweat and because it, it makes me feel good it's it's therapy 
active you know? recovery. It's a, it is active recovery. Everything in my life is active, active recovery. And, um, yeah, those are, so just uninterrupted time with the people that I love unplugging as often as possible and just allowing that to carve out space in, in your life to, to, to rest and recover. And you won't regret it. Even if it's five minutes a day, it'll add incredible value to your life in reading and, and exercise. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, gosh, I, I wish that more people would, would consider the benefits of unplugging going dark. I mean, I'm talking not just, you know, putting your phone on the table or whatever. I'm talking airplane mode. I'm talking off the yeah. grid. So that if you have iMessage, when somebody texts you, it goes to green, right? Not to blue. Mm-hmm. Saying that your phone is off completely. Uh, I, I don't know where we, we went awry. Uh, I, I lived through it. I mean, I, I went through my freshman year of college without a cell phone. Yeah. You know, I didn't, I didn't have a cell phone in high school. And that was, you know, right around the turn of the century. And, and some, somewhere in the last 20 years, yeah. it became, there was an expectation that when you text, email, or call somebody, that you're going to get a result because right. their phone is on and they are checking their phone. Mm-hmm. But and it, it, it comes from, from society, it comes from media, it comes from social media, but unfortunately it also comes from the workforce in terms yeah. of the professional culture in the world and and bosses expect employees to be on call 24-7. Yeah. And I, I think that's dangerous. I think it's unhealthy. Uh, I, I go, I, I do airplane mode. Yeah, I do do not disturb. I don't do mm-hmm. notifications. The only notifications I do are from my calendar app. Yeah. So I don't, you know, miss important appointments. Yeah. Uh, and speaking to the calendar app, I also don't take phone calls. I schedule every right. phone call. Yeah. If you call me just out of the blue... I'm not going to answer because the phone. I know is, you don't. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the phone is on. Do not disturb. Right. And do not disturb yeah. goes right to voicemail. Yep. Right. Now, I schedule calls and they go on the calendar and I'm, I make sure I'm free for those and I'm expecting them and mm-hmm. so therefore you know. Right. Uh, and I think that's the smart way to do the telephone because when you when you call somebody, you are interrupting them. Yeah. And you are saying that hey, I didn't ask you. But I'm going to call you, and I'm going to expect you to pick up the phone. Yep. I don't really particularly care what you're doing. Yeah. But I have something I need to know, or I have something I want to tell you, and that's yeah. more important than whatever you're doing right now. Yeah. So that's I what was, a phone call is. Yeah. That's kind of. Let's go back to books really quick. I, I read a book this summer called "Great Leaders Have No Rules," and um, they obviously have some rules. But so a, a big move in in leadership, kind of through the, you know, the the early like through the 90s and the 2000s is the open door. The open door policy. policy right? Our the, door's closed right now. Yeah, our door's closed. And it's locked. The, the on-air sign is on. I, have a, I actually have a sign that says, I'm involved in cognitively <laughs> demanding work. Please yes. do not disturb. And one of the sections of this book was talking about you have to protect your space and your, and your mental energy. And you cannot have an open door policy. And, and that got me thinking... So how can I better, one, how can I do that for myself? So to do that, we have to say no to things. We have to, we have to schedule things. We have to be very clear with our team. And, you know, and we've had conversations in the past of, like, availability. I remember I was in trouble one time with 
uh, a coach that I was working for because I I was needed to communicate about something and I was talking to you about like being available and and you were just encouraging me to like find balance and communicate when you need to and things like that but you know what do we need to say no to setting clear expectations and so like my athletes know that if my office door is closed my office door is closed that means that I'm I'm working I'm not available and it's not a whole lot of time right because there's a whole lot I have a whole lot of time where they're not going to interrupt me they're in class or they're you know in between classes or, or doing something so protecting that that time because you can spend all day picking up phone calls responding to emails responding to texts being interrupted and I'm sure it it I'm sure it happens quite frequently I mean we, we coach what you know you you have a, a full women's team I have like two a men's and a women's program and we have a lot of people that that reach out to us and need things from us and expect things from us so we have to set those expectations with them. And the simple thing for me is if my door's closed, I'm unavailable. Yeah. And my, my athletes also know that. Well, and then you have your, your digital doors as well. And that's yep. where airplane mode comes yep. into play. And, and, and that's why I set the, the certain parameters for myself. And yeah. the iPad not having any notifications, it doesn't ding or bang. And the notifications that I have on my phone is my, my text messages, the, the group the group messaging app that we use for our program and my work email. That's it. But my phone seldom makes a, a peep. Um, and the only thing that vibrates is my, my calendar because I live and die by my, sure. <laughs> if it's not in the calendar, it doesn't, it doesn't exist. Happen, yeah, so, it doesn't exist. Um, and, and I guess what my concern and just to add to it and to piggyback on that a little bit is that, what we're talking about right now will seem extreme to some people. Yes. And and not only extreme, but wrong, mm -hmm. incorrect, not the right way to do things, not the right yeah. way to treat people, not the right way to act in the professional world. Mm -hmm. And that is concerning to me. I mean, that the idea that a coach would have a closed door. Yeah. You know, there are people out there listening that will say, well, that's, you know, you're not being a servant leader and you're not ready, you know, and available for your people and, and this and that. And, gosh, you know, I think that's scary. I really yeah, well, do. We have to understand that connection and value is different from immediate availability. Well, and, and I would agree exactly. Let me let me tell one quick story here. Uh and, and bless her heart, we love her, I love her, she loves us. Uh, we have an alumna of our program. Uh, she graduated many, many years ago. Uh, well, we've only, we've had 10 years, but she was on the first half of the five. She was a while ago. And she used to sleep in her dorm, right? She used to sleep in her dorm with her phone on, volume on, volume up, the whole way. So, and this was before, you know, before Do Not Disturb. And, and so no airplane mode. Mm -hmm. Phone was on, connected to cellular, and, and receiving calls, receiving dings, pings, notifications, everything else, and volume the whole way up with the sound on. So that way if yeah. somebody called her, she would wake up. And I said, gosh, you know, what are you doing? I mean, you got you got to sleep. You know, I mean, sleep. 
phone's going off all night, you know, people wake you up. She said, yeah, that's the point. You know, if there's an emergency, I want people to be able to get a hold of me. Yeah, it's just going to have to wait. Right. And, and what I told her, and she, and she got mad at me, we actually had a little bit of a, of a discussion, you know, she was upset. I said, you're not that important. If there's an emergency, you're not the number one call. Yeah. It's 911, right? Yeah. And you don't or, need to disrupt your... LUPD or LU emergency services yeah. or, you know, 911 or whatever, you know. You're not the first call if somebody has a true emergency. Yeah. You know? and, and, you know, Scott, I love you, but you're not the first call either. No. And everybody thinks they're really important, but I'm not the first call either. You no. know, Jake Schellenberger is not the first call. No. For, for my wife, for our student athletes here... I mean, if there's an immediate emergency, you're calling 911. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just... And we're definitely going to... The reality of the situation. Definitely going to... You know, we'll find out at some point, but it's... I do think... I think we could real. I think we could go down a very... We could probably go down 50 podcasts of... Technology. Of, and, of technology. Like, yeah. we have never had such a dopamine-producing thing that we have access to all the time, all in, the time. In, our, in, our, in our existence. Did you ever wonder why Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter all have a never-ending scroll? Yeah, so you can keep just keep, keep on, scrolling, keep on, and, and keep scrolling, on. and keep scrolling. Always. And eventually, depending on how many friends you have and how many posts they have, you could get to the end of that timeline at some point. Right, because they all probably have to start not. posting somewhere. Yeah, but even then, they may have programmed a loop in there. Right, it yeah. might loop back around at some point. Well, there's an algorithm that is going to put something else. Keeps it coming. Yeah. yeah. So, but when I read, when I read the close your doors, basically, and all that is saying is that you have to have space and time during the day where you are uninterrupted and doing what you need to do. Or work. So, like. Yeah. We're a coach, right? So we coach. So we're spending. So so for me, any time that we're on campus in our three lane pool, I'm coaching for four hours. Okay, so on Monday morning, I'm getting up, I'm coaching for four hours. So that's basically five thirty to to nine thirty, and then I'm going back in the afternoon on Monday for two hours. So I've got six six plus hours of coaching, of of daylight, and so. I have to be really strategic and really maybe selfish is the word, but I have to, I have to allocate how I spend my energy and I could, I could literally spend all day just talking to people, having community with people and letting things interrupt type stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Interrupt what I need to do, but we are administrators. We are mentors. You and I are both, husbands you're a father and 2x yep two time for you zero times for me but we have to have time where we can do the work that we need to do and recruiting letters don't write themselves no they do not (laughs) and recruiting calls don't call themselves and and taking the time to to deliberate and debate with your staff about well who gets the spot offer we, we have to create space for the change and the demands of our lives. And so when I read that, I was so refreshed. And it had been, it had been a little bit where I read something in a leadership book that just kind of wasn't status quo. 
and that that was one of the first things that I've read in a while that had been like really really different and and I think like to to tie it up like what I want in my life is like continuity between work rest play coach husband son brother friend and I don't want to compartmentalize all these different things and all these different boxes in my life because I know that if if I'm being the if I'm pursuing being the best husband I can be, well, it's going to make me a better coach, and being the best coach I can be is going to make me a better a better husband, and I want to be able to have like unbroken symmetry between moving from those roles, and we're going to move in and out of those roles every single day versus like having this really strict, rigid view of work-life balance, and I'm never completely disconnected from work, and I'm never completely disconnected from my loved ones or my interests, and I want, I want, you know, continuity in my life, and, and when you have continuity in your, your professional life, when you can move freely from thing to thing like there's going to be times where you might have to take some work home and there i'm sure there's been times where your tribe your family the schellenberger clan is in this office or on pool deck or and then when we when we have that continuity we can can really get something that's valuable and that's that's consonance in our life and what that means is who you are is impacting what you do and it creates a really nice fluid fluid circle that's deep yeah I like it though yeah I like it that's deep and certainly there are as you said a number of different avenues and rabbit holes that we could examine uh, maybe on another podcast when we, yeah. when we I think we should do it we should do another podcast where we talk about everything except except swimming, swimming. yeah and we just go down some of those those rabbit holes and talk technology and we and, and that's what this podcast is for it is not just swimming it's the podcast for polymaths and so we're going to cover everything from swimming obviously to personal productivity professional development so on and so forth okay last question are you ready Scott? i am you ready all right last question and this is one that we will we will ask every guest regardless of their profession regardless of what they do uh, and i think this will elicit some fantastic responses as we go really excited for this one okay are you ready i am last question uh, anything you believe that is against the grain, way outside the box, or otherwise controversial in nature. So what is something, anything that you believe that you will, it is a sword upon which you will die. Mm -hmm. What is something that you believe that is against the grain, way outside the box, or otherwise extremely controversial? I think that coaches need to be very limited in their use of drills in swimming. No drills. Some or limited, drills. You, okay. Limited, limited, very limited drills. Um, how does how do you let me unpack that? Yeah. How do you let me drill down here, so to speak? Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, that's bad. Uh, no editing. We're gonna keep it in there. Worst yeah. worst pun ever. Okay, let's drill down there. How would you define drilling in in the first place? Right. So, when as I define drill, I'm. I'm talking about things like two kick, one pull breaststroke, six kick switch, fingertip drag. No one should do fingertip drag. Fingertip that's, drag is the worst. That's the worst. Catch-up um, drill is catch up, right don't do, behind. Don't do the traditional catch-up. When, when are your hands ever in front of your face in freestyle? 
well, they shouldn't be. Um, only in fly. Only in fly in your streamline, but yeah. when you swim freestyle, hopefully they're in front of your shoulders, pull. right? Yeah. And so things like that. Um, one arm, one arm fly. So the traditional drilling. Traditional drilling. Okay. And so I'm not, the way that I use drills is for an accessory component. Like we'll do two kick, one pull. We'll do one, 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 one butterfly. So one stroke with the left arm, one stroke with the right arm, one full stroke. We'll do some double arm backstroke or single arm backstroke. Um, in our, in our program, like the drills that you would see a lot is one, one, one fly, either single right, single left backstroke or double arm backstroke, two kick, one pull breaststroke, uh, breaststroke swimming with a dolphin kick and, and then freestyle doing type of left, right drills or some type of, some type of like a power catch up where you're, you're, you're doing a catch up, but you're out in front and you're centering and really focusing on your speed and power. So, but I would argue against using drills as teaching mechanisms because at least in my experience and what I've seen them create in, in different, different athletes that I've worked with. And I'm sure there's just fine athletes that have done drills. I just think there's a, a better way. And the way that I really was gravitated towards early on in my coaching career was Michael Brooks's catechisms for all the strokes. So what you're doing is you're taking the stroke in its whole and you're modeling it in some form. So you're, maybe you have a demonstrator, maybe you draw it, maybe you show a video, and then we let the athlete go and try to accomplish that, that stroke. And then from there, you're using cues, verbal, verbal cues, the catechisms, to create certain habits within that stroke. Okay, and the pause there is me thinking. Uh, certainly different uh, outside the box. Yeah. yeah. Certainly against the grain. Uh, probably not controversial, but uh, you know, certainly outside the box. A lot of people will will obviously include you know various drills in, mm -hmm. their, in their programs. I w w and you mentioned it. You know, fingertip and, and catch up. Uh, Club coaches will probably disagree, even some college coaches. But uh, those are the two worst drills we've ever invented. You know, they, they have no, to they're be, not uh, very good. Uh, I just uh, the sooner we can end catch up freestyle and uh, fingertip drag freestyle would be highly beneficial for the learning and for everybody, and mm -hmm. especially for elite athletes. I mean, it just uh, could talk a lot about that. Okay, I like that uh, yeah. limited drilling. Yeah, and the way that. That I that I like to use them, the most, and I use them in different different forms. But we do it in preparing the body to, to swim. We might do it for our butterflies if we want to. If we have a day where we're having a little bit more volume on the pace side of things, well, maybe a couple of those periodic efforts are going to be two right, two left, two full, or, right. or something like that. Breaststroke. We do a lot of breaststroke arms and dolphin kick, and that's for it's for our knees, and it gives us good. It gives us a great tempo. It gives us a great body line. It and it really, really works you. Like sets your core on fire, sets your quads on fire. So I definitely don't think they're bad. If we're speaking about drills in 
I think what they were you what we use them the most for is like the technical revision and technical yeah. refinement or yeah or I, would, teaching. I would call there's just better ways to do it yeah I would uh, I would agree there absolutely and I, we we consider tech swimming here at Liberty with resistance yeah drilling drilling yeah. or snorkeling for you guys yeah with we, drilling yeah we do a lot of and so you know you're talking about left right freestyle or, or backstroke or even butterfly uh, let's throw a weight belt on mm-hmm. and Let's put the opposite arm at the side, throw a snorkel on, uh, maybe some fins for the freshman. Yeah. And let's do, you know, left arm swimming, right arm swimming. Yeah. With a weight belt. Yeah. And now we're connecting the fingertips to the legs through the yeah. core, and you better really kick. Yeah. You, you really have to. You really have to ignite your legs and exactly. Yeah. And and your core, and yeah. you feel that cross connection. Yeah. So, yeah. I just think there's better there's better ways. To, to do it yeah gosh I, w- I would agree I mean if, if drilling is catch up and, and fingertip drag I mean probably better not to swim you know because yeah. eventually at some point you've got to redo all the neuromuscular recruitment patterns mm-hmm. that you've spent yeah you know, and that's really where it's freestyle. that's the heartbeat of where it where it comes from is if we're modeling something take for example we, we, we're working on butterfly like I don't want any of our any of our athletes to take a poor stroke of butterfly right right even if if we're taking if we're taking three strokes fly or we're taking 20 strokes fly there there's effort there's intention there's a tempo there's a pace right and it's the same thing when when teaching i want i want that athlete or whomever it is the swimmer the age group swimmer when i was in club to to try to accomplish the fly or the backstroke, or the breaststroke, or the freestyle, and then we take these cues and these catechisms and these key components and characteristics, and we use that it's neurolinguistic patterning to to help them work on different parts of the stroke over time, which I think over time puts together a much better a much better product when it's all said and done. Right. Awesome. All right. Well, that's it. Uh, how can we? Uh how can we learn more about you? Give us uh, how do we how do we contact Scott Thacker? Learn more about Roanoke. Yeah, so Roanoke on Twitter and Instagram is at Roanoke Swim. At Roanoke Swim on and Twitter and Instagram. Okay. You can find me on Instagram at Scott underscore Thacker. Scott underscore Thacker. All right. Well, Scott, thank you for coming. Thank you, on. my friend. It's been the great. Best, uh, the best in year three thank coming you. up, and uh, you know certainly you're. You're chasing a great program up in Lexington and yeah. Washington and Lee, and certainly you know you've uh, you've caused quite a ruckus in the ODAC in just two years, and uh, they're going to be you know you're going to be on their radar. They're going to be watching out for you and uh, well, make for a. We're lucky that we have a really, really, really great team in our conference. We have a, some really formidable young men and women and a yeah. really great staff to chase in terms of where where we want to be and that's that's where we want to be we yeah. want to be a top 15 program and we want to we want to be a conference championship program just like they are right and and they what have, a what a great a group of people job. yeah they have yeah. they've done an amazing job and they've historically been an incredible team and we're we're lucky that that's who we get to chase absolutely yeah absolutely all right well scott thank you appreciate it and uh, we'll be we'll be following you of course as we as we always do. That's it for us here, episode three of the Jake Shell Show. Uh, please, uh, as we leave here, please be sure to share the podcast. 
if you found value in listening to Scott and I and, and sharing our stories and, and sharing, you know, talking shop, training and so forth, program building, please share the podcast. Uh, please be sure to give us a rating as well. Five-star reviews always help. Uh, if you have any questions for me uh, for future episodes, uh, you can let us know. Uh, Anchor is, is our podcast hosting app, so you can find us on there. You can leave voicemails if you want to get a voicemail featured on an episode of the show. You can find us on the web at jakeshell.com. We also have a blog where you can read more. There's over 80 articles and over 120,000 words on the blog. And uh, my contact info is on the blog as well, jakeshell.com. And finally, if you would like to become a supporter of the podcast, uh, we have a few supporters. Thank you to our supporters. You can support The Jake Shell Show for as little as 99 cents a month. And so if that's something you'd like to do to help us keep delivering fantastic content, you can do that. You can find details in the show notes. 99 cents a month at the minimum to support The Jake Shell Show. And again, you can find that info in the show notes. That's it. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back again next week with Episode 4.